Welcome to the Helihead Show. This is episode 39. I am your host, Skids, and with me is Fence Post. All my paychecks bounced this from Heliheads. <laughs> and we've got a guest host. We got uh, what's his name? Flip flop. <laughs> Flip flop. <laughs> I want to say I want to say abracadabra. A- oh, I'm on a nice. different podcast now. Mm, I yes. magically appeared. Yep. <laughs> Disappearing act, you say? Yes, sir. I didn't realize this was smack talk. <laughs> <laughs> What's up, uh, guys? Oh, man. And, of course, we've got none other than all things that fly uh, host. We have Lucian Miller with us. How's it going, guys? Yeah. <laughs> what have you guys been up to Are this we- week? Anything fun? I don't know, but I got a question. Are we going to have to change the category for our podcast so it goes from being entertainment to, like, intellectual? Because we just like tripled our IQ points on the show. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the guys from Telerotor are going to finally respect us. I'm just saying. Yeah. Big I mean, time. Imani's laughing right now, but he'll understand why soon. No, That's he's okay. not. He's in the background going, nerds. <laughs> <laughs> or shouting profanities. One of the two. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's a given. <laughs> That's what, he, that's what he tells his kids for bedtime stories. <laughs> oh, gosh. What is it, that Samuel L. Jackson book? He probably reads that one to his kids. Now go yeah. the fuck to sleep! <laughs> <laughs> oh, mercy me. Too funny. Well, thank you very much, Lucian, for coming on the show, man. We appreciate it. No problem, guys. Yeah. All right. Well, without further ado, thank you very much to everyone who uh, downloads, streams, and listens to our podcast. We certainly appreciate each and every one of you. So thank you very much. Uh, Let's see. Yard Sale, he's on vacation. He's actually not going down the river on a tube with a case of beer. And where where is that? Yeah. he's What is he? The Indy 500 or something? No, he's at Disneyland. He went to Disneyland. 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 Oh, man. <laughs> Disneyland. <laughs> but uh, Gucci had something that came up very last minute, so he will not be with us either. So uh, we'll wish him the best. But uh, we got Brent instead. Yay. Yay. <laughs> Me? Hi, Brent. <laughs> What's up? Thank By the you, way, Brent. they don't pay us here. Mm. Uh, yeah. No, all right. Well, I'm out. Yeah. There he goes again. He's going to disappear. Watch him, folks. Check signed by Mickey Mouse, and I didn't realize it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. Well, speaking of his act, uh, what'd you do this past couple weeks, Brent? Uh, Not a whole lot. Um, Well, last weekend I was going to fly, and I was going to fly my T Rex 700, and was just kind of looking at the swatch plate and moving the links up and down and they were moving pretty bad so i I looked at the swash balls and they were coming out so i tried to tighten them back in and one of them was stripped so i was like well i better not fly that so i ordered a new swash plate that came in today so i gotta get that installed for this weekend nice so I haven't done too much flying um, with weather, and we had an event at the field that I fly at before. So, very cool. A, a what was the name of the event? event. 
it was the the sad i don't know if you guys are part of that on um facebook there's a yeah. sad yeah. group that's the yeah, crashing that's, thing right yeah that's the crashing yeah i've been on there a couple times you might have seen my my heli on the <laughs> runway but yeah i'm part of that the whoever runs that i'm part of that um club so okay lots of lots of planes went down last weekend it was pretty fun to watch mm. didn't but, santiago perez go to that event i think his name is I'm not sure. I didn't make it out to the event. Uh, some of my friends did, but I didn't get a chance to go out. But it, I guess it was pretty big, pretty good event. So um, they had quite a few people. That's and awesome. Not so many crashes, though. I think they had a couple crashes here and there. But, yeah, so I just got back out flying this past weekend, like I said, but wasn't able to fly. Uh, we have a new guy at the field. Um, I guess he's been coming the last couple of times when I couldn't make it out. So I've been talking to him. I sold him my 500, my T-Rex 500. I had crashed about a month ago. Um, I just didn't want to put it back together. So ended up trading him for uh, upgraded to me, DX8. So I'm kind of slowly making my way to... <laughs> I might get a V-Control touch maybe by the time I retire. Yeah, I'm yeah. going from a I'm going from a DX8 version one to now the version two or then whatever the newest version is. And so, if you'd yeah. like to help Flip Flop out, he has a Patreon account. Flip Flop <laughs> <laughs> Patreon. <laughs> it's labeled "Help a Guy Get a V Control." Yeah. So yeah, by the time I'm you know in a wheelchair or something like that, <laughs> I'm 90 years old. I'll, I'll have a V Control. So nice. Sounds good. Um, that same guy has a 600 Nitro I'm kind of interested in just because he he's knows a lot about Nitro, which is nice because I was about to get out of Nitro and then I met him and he kind of makes his own. He, make, he was talking about making his own Nitro up in Phoenix. I guess he's from Phoenix, but he comes down to Tucson to uh, for work every once in a while. So, okay. He said, oh, I'll bring you down some nitro. I'm like, yeah, go for it. So I got to get, so I was interested in a 600 nitro. I may get that and uh, definitely building the Horex that's going to live. Yes. You'll see it at events soon. So nice. I got it. I got it. All the parts. I just got to put it together. Mm-hmm. So that's what Mike used to say too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Quite often, actually. <laughs> every weekend <laughs> or every week. <laughs> nice cool anything else no that's it for me all right fence post what you got man well i'm gonna start with saying i just found out that brent's cheating on me with nitro sorry <laughs> <laughs> well i <laughs> well i can't uh go and pick any up so i live too far away and you could come over here hang out at rcho go to that event uh, i wish and, you know be great you can teach anywhere brent arizona is not it I know, yeah. I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, other than that, um, my shipment of nitro finally made it out to the um, ranch heli beater guys out in California. Nice. So that's cool. That was that was a little bit more difficult than I thought, but not that bad in the end. Like if I was to do it again, now that I've done it once, I'm pretty confident it would be a lot smoother. But uh, definitely a sketchy process, never doing that before with, you know, hazmat material, knowing what's got to go down as far as requirements and safety, getting that stuff shipped across the country. It was, uh, it was interesting. Uh, absolutely lost my ass on it, but it was a good time. That's awesome. <laughs> but, 
<laughs> that doesn't matter. Yeah. I'm not in it for the money. I'm in it for the good times. That's right. Um, <laughs> what else I do? Uh, oh, it was Mike Lawrence's birthday. Uh, literally yesterday. Happy birthday. So, yeah. Happy, happy birthday, bro. Um, so me, Mike and Eric and my wife, we all went out for Mexican food down the street, hung out a little bit. And, uh, Eric nonchalantly jumped in and paid for the whole meal. So he blamed on the fact it was Mike's birthday and mine a couple days prior. So thank you, Eric Shu. You're a uh, scholar and a legend. <laughs> he is. Um, I helped John Titus dial in his Kraken 700. Um, he went and bumped the pinion a little bit, so we tweaked the gains. That way, this higher head speed wouldn't cause any issues. Um, got it all, you know, working, flying good. He had a setup where he's running a Neo, but he's running uh, Spectrum. So that was a crazy learning experience. It took me a couple hours just to figure out how to set up the Spectrum radio and everything with the Neo and make it all work. But oh, in wow. the end, it, it went great. And, uh, you know, obviously learned a new skill there. So I was pretty grateful to have the opportunity to, to help him. Um, nice. And then he turns around and bought a V control touch. So <laughs> now you gotta do it all. <laughs> I was like, dude, you couldn't have done this like two weeks ago. <laughs> oh man. So uh, yeah, that that's that happened. Um, so we're gonna throw the antennas on it. We're gonna you know put the twenty or thirty dollar upgrade to make it a V link, and then it'll take me all the five minutes to set them up again. <laughs> right. So whatever. It's literally literally like an eighth of a time that it took you. I know. <laughs> no joke. Took me like two hours to get the spectrum working because oh, it doesn't 16th. use. Yeah, it doesn't use the normal idle ups. It doesn't use throttle output through the radio. It doesn't use hold as one of their idle ups either. It's it's weird. They're separate channels. They do different things. It's yeah. it's wild. Yeah, but yeah, learned a lot. Um, cool. Yeah, the only the thing I also learned was so he flies a little interesting. He um he learned with the rudder backwards. So when he started, he didn't, you know, have anyone around that flew helis or anything. And he just sort of set it up the way he wanted. And instead of making the rudder stick go to the right and the nose goes to the right, he flies the tail all the time. So if he puts the rudder to the right, the tail goes to the right. So whatever is closest to him upright. So effectively backwards. Um, so that was really interesting. It was easy to do on Spectrum. He just flipped the channel. But... When he bought the V control touch, I went, "Oh crap! How do you how do you reverse a rudder stick on V control?" Mm. But um, luckily, there was a section where you change the mode, uh, you know, mode one, mode two for the radio, right? And it actually has a portion beside it that lets you flip collective and then flip the rudder direction. Nice. Yeah. So now we can actually buddy box with him with the rudder flipped, so he can have it comfortable for him, and then I can have it, so I'm not going to rekit his stuff as soon as I take over. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that blew my mind. I was like, oh, sweet. I didn't I know I where you were going with this, but now I understand. That's really cool. Yeah. No, oh. I, was, I was like mentally preparing myself to like rewire his radio <laughs> to flip it or something, or or like I'm going to have to learn to fly it backwards to help him with maneuvers. And I'm right. like, this is going to go so badly. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it worked it's out like a. Good. It's like a buddy of mine when I used to fly a Quickie 500 pylon race, and he taught himself how to fly, and he just plugged the servos into the receiver, and whatever the settings were, you know, this was, I mean, we're talking back in the sure. early 80s before we had throttle reversing and all that kind of stuff, and the way his radio was set up was throttle was backwards, so idle was the stick up, and uh, full throttle was down. He had rudder 
and elevator on the right stick and aileron and throttle on the left stick but he had throttle reversed and he had elevator reversed oh and he called God. he called it mode three and a half <laughs> and that's just how he learned how to fly and he never could he never could fly any other way yeah. And wow. it was so bizarre to watch him fly, but it was it worked for him. That's insane. That awesome. So three and a half. I love it. So when I was <laughs> when I was a kid, you know, I had the uh, I don't know how you guys say it. I always said to Maya. Uh, some people say to Mia, but whatever it is, the grasshopper car. And so uh, my dad, he let me use his airplane radio, which was a craft radio, right? And so when you put the servo into the frame, uh, the car, you know, whatever to do steering, there was no reversing. So the entire time I had that car, like the, uh, the steering was always backwards. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually there was reversing back then. What you would do, you'd have to take the bottom off your servo and you'd have to change the polarity of the motor and then change the polarity of the potentiometer. And then it would work backwards yeah no 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 me and my dad we weren't that smart (laughs) (laughs) they actually sold reverse rotation servos back then if you needed one to go the other direction that's funny (laughs) wow good stuff there you go kevin you can now go the other direction (laughs) nice thanks you're welcome (laughs) i know you've been looking for a solution for years (laughs) oh man yeah finally oh man Anyway, uh, yeah, thanks for stealing my week. Um, You're welcome. Where are we going? What are we doing? You got the last bullet. Uh, what you got? Yeah, so we talked about him drinking the Kool-Aid and went on a segue about radios. Um, and other than that, I think it was just RCHO prep getting ready to destroy my shit next week. Yes. Yeah. It is I'm all stoked. yours this time, buddy. I'm stepping aside. <laughs> Let's do it. Fire pulls. Mm-mm. Nope. <laughs> I'm going with two helis and I want him to come home two helis well i mean they still come home they're just easier to pack (laughs) (laughs) so whatever it's fine oh gosh how's your week's been oh well um so finally after a long time i i had this electronics store it used to be a radio shack now it's called uh hurricane electronics or something and i used to be able to get solder tips from them not as in how to solder but the actual tip and um so they ran out it some time ago. So I've been like totally, you know, like dirty tip and solder stuff over here. Like I'm, I'm, I'm a dirty tipper. So I finally managed to find some on the internet to buy for my soldering iron. And, uh, so that's, that's my one buy. Ooh, I've got mini buys. Sorry. I forgot. Let's get this party started. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> so I finally got those and um let's just go ahead and call it what it is. I haven't flown since probably hanging out with you guys. So that's over well, I don't know 2 weeks week, 2 weeks ago. Um but uh so just a lot of buying. And so obviously the raw is going to be here tomorrow. Woot, right? Um Woo-hoo. so that'll be here, but uh I was going back and forth of whether or not I really wanted to put a Hobby Wing 130 on there with a 4525 motor. And because I fly like a total dumb dick, I thought this is just not a good idea. So I went for broke and I pulled the trigger on a YGE 205. Hold your applause. Thank you. Um, So... (laughs) Uh, it got here. I'm super excited about that thing. And, um, you know, Ben, of course, we're going to get together on Saturday, do a power build on the raws and, uh, 
maybe we'll get to a point where we get to, you know, install those two, uh, the YGE stuff, because he has one as well. And, um, geez, what else did I get? I did get some connectors. Um, I know that's like bad words around here, but they're EC5, so suck it. Uh, <laughs> um, what else did I get? Did I get anything? Oh, so you'll be happy about this. Uh, so I was going to get some Scorpion motor bullets, and I'll leave them nameless. But by the time you buy one package, uh, I was going to buy two. So two sets of motor bullets. So that's basically, you know, six female and male uh it was gonna be like twenty dollars for those and then it was like ten dollars in shipping what? and i was like you guys can Jeez. you know so i decided me and ben got talking and i was like well i said i see here you can get like um 10 sets of the super connectors the six millimeter bullet for like twenty dollars you know and and it was right at like twenty or so dollar twenty two dollars shipped or something right, and so now I have ten sets as opposed to the only six sets, and so we're I'm just going to use those I'm just not going to put the plastic thingies on them I'm just going to heat shrink them and uh, and let it rip that way, nice. so uh, I figured you'd be happy to know that I finally have super connectors or supra connectors in my fleet somewhere. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> but um yeah, so we're just gonna use those instead, I think. And and they are the solder type, um, because obviously I bought solder tips, so now I'm good to go. Um and uh, tips. Yeah, yeah, no more dirty tipping. <laughs> uh <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> but uh yeah, so Ben and I we're gonna do some building on Saturday because it's just gonna be a total washout here. It's like a hundred percent rain. Good times. Um, we were going to go to the sod farm and, uh, and hang out with Marcus, but because of the rain, we we're just like, well, whatever, we'll just hang out here and get, get ready for our CHO, you know, get some stuff built, get some stuff ready. And, um, super excited about our CHO. I, I just, you can't even imagine like how excited I am to, to get there and been talking to some people and, you know, messaging back and forth when you come in, where you want to eat all kinds of fun stuff. And, um, you know. It's a good time. So, sorry, Brent. Oh, I know you guys are making me sad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so that's been pretty much it. Just a lot of buying, um, hanging out at the house. The wife's been sick a little bit. So, yeah, just uh, that's it. What else we got? All right. What is hot? Yeah. Not a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Not a lot. <laughs> Sounds like Sesame Street or right? something. I know, right? <laughs> Here? All right, we'll go through these entries. We have one. Ha, ha, ha. Yeah. One. Uh, <laughs> no, really, there's not a lot of stuff that's... There wasn't. That's, unfortunately, haven't seen anything online. Um, the only thing that caught my eye is BK posted, I think, earlier today, if I'm not mistaken, that they have some red canopies and sticker sets in stock. So if you bought a raw and you don't like yellow, now's the time to get the red because mm. they've got a couple kits. They'll probably sell out quick. They don't have a whole lot of them, but yeah. if you want to be the cool guy at RCHO and you want to have a different color overnight, it's there only a hundred dollars. <laughs> right. Yeah. I almost did that. <laughs> I think the canopy is like, I want to say what, 70 bucks with the sticker set and everything. Yeah. And then it was like $103 shipping to get it here for RCHO. And I was like, <laughs> <Do it. laughs> Hmm. I want to, but no. Yeah. So, question. Stickers or no stickers? 
Dude, I saw that picture of Manny's today without stickers. Right. And I'll tell you what, as soon as I can, I think I'm going to peel my stickers off. Mm. Going stickerless. Yeah, it looks really cool. And I really want to get a custom canopy for it that's done in black. Oh. And I might even do black skits. Like, everyone's like, oh, I can't see it. So I kind of want to <laughs> embrace that. Yeah, but, I mean, how is that any different than doing, like, you know, uh, Nitro without canopy? Yeah, it's not. I mean, I used to you fly know. my, when I had an Oxy 5 Nitro, black skids, no canopy. The thing disappeared constantly. Everyone's like, how do you see that? And it was actually kind of fun because everyone freaked out all the time. Yeah. And then you just answer them back say, I don't see it. I'm just flying it off memory. Good <laughs> That's <luck>. right. <laughs> Hoping for if the If I best. duck, you should fly duck too. Yep. <laughs> so what you're saying is Matt Black at night over the fire. Hell yeah. Mm, I love it. Yep. Let's just that spray paint it. Cool though, like a real stealth, evil-looking raw that's all blacked yeah. out, murdered. I, yeah. I think you should have kept this to yourself because now everybody's going to do it. That's okay. The five They'll people that listen to this theirs. podcast. <laughs> Dan Murnane is the only person capable of flying a blacked-out raw at night. That's true. That's true. <laughs> well, cool. I, I mean, you know, Walmart, dude. You know, yeah. matte black paint. Let's get it done. <laughs> <laughs> Shake or can that bitch up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the amount of trouble. <laughs> Peel them like, stickers. Yeah, you've seen people clear coat cracking. Sweet till you see this. Yeah. Don't mind those run marks. No big deal. Yeah. <laughs> runs. Yeah. <laughs> Team runs. I uh, like it. Nice. All right. Yep. Red canopy can be yours for a hundred bucks today. Let's do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. And that's all that's hot. All right. Does anybody have anything else to add that is what is hot? Nothing? Nope. nope. All Nothing. right. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. Hey, everyone. Tom Shin here. I joined Only Fine Hellies because of the family environment that the Turner family promotes. Only Fine Helis carries the industry most desired products and provides fast shipping. Every year I attend a lot of fun flights and if you've ever been pressured into a Scott Graham tandem, Only Fine Helis has the parts to get you back in the air. You know, on second thought, you should just go buy the spares today at Only Fine Helis. All right, welcome back, everybody. Uh, as previously mentioned, we have a very special guest with us tonight. All the way from Innovative Designs of Michigan, we've got Lucian Miller on the show with us. It's such an honor and a privilege to have you on, sir. Thank you very much. Well, thanks for having me, guys. It's uh, it's an honor to be on your show. Yeah, thank you. So uh, let's do some uh, get to know. Um, sure. Yeah. Kick it off, Brent. All right. So, uh, what state do you call home these days? Uh, right now, I live in Michigan in the town of Monroe, which is about halfway between Detroit uh, and Toledo, Ohio. All right. Cool. Yeah, I'm from Michigan, too, originally from Michigan, so that's pretty mm-hmm. cool. Yep. Didn't know you were from Michigan, so that's some, some cool yeah, I was, things. Yeah, I, I was born here, and I moved away when I was about 20 to go to college in Indiana. I lived there for five years, and then I li- moved down to Tampa, Florida, and I lived there for 15 years. And then I went out to San Diego for 15 years. And then about four and a half years ago, I moved back home to Monroe, Michigan. That's where I've been ever since. Nice, nice. Yeah. 
Yeah, I hope to go back to Michigan sometimes, sometime, <laughs> maybe move back eventually, but don't miss the snow so <laughs> and the cold. Uh, so how did you get started in the hobby? Well, actually, you know, my my love of airplanes goes back to when I was probably about four years old. Um, when, when I was a kid, my mom and dad used to take me and my brother, and we would actually go up to uh, the Detroit area, and we would take a blanket, and my mom would fry up some chicken, and we'd make a pitcher of Kool-Aid, and we would go there and have a picnic on the side of the road right under the, the approach runway at Detroit Metro Airport and lay on the ground and watch the airplanes come in and fly right over the top of us, you know, like 50 uh-huh. feet over the top of us. And I just loved, you know, airplanes. And I was, as I was a kid growing up, you know, I, I got into control line and rockets and stuff like that. And uh, my dad and I had a couple of friends that he worked with that were into RC cars, uh, you know, glow-powered RC cars. And this this was back in about 1974, 75 time frame. And um, uh, one of the guys was selling a bunch of his cars and I saved up my money and I bought them and I, I kind of got into RC cars for a while. And then my dad had another friend, uh, longtime friend, Kenny Muir, who um, had been flying RC for a long time. And he invited me out to go flying with him one time. And I just got hit you know, hard by the bug. And he taught me how to fly. Um, and uh, I've been, been in the hobby ever since. Nice. 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 So you've been in the hobby since then, but how long have you been doing business in the hobby? Well, uh, Innovative Designs is like the third hobby business that I've had. Um, I remember back when I was about 23 years old, I came up with an idea for putting monocoat over the top of monocoat without using an iron. And I experimented with a, with a bunch of different types of chemical solvents and thinners and stuff like that. And I invented this formula that would activate the glue on the back of monocoat and make it sticky, but without affecting the paint layer underneath. And we called it no heat trim solvent. And you would brush it on your airplane and you'd take your trim piece and lay it down and squeegee it down and boom, it would stick and you wouldn't have to iron it on. And so I started a, a little company back then. And I used to, I went to the Toledo show and sold that stuff. I got pictures of me, like, you know, wearing a suit, you know, 23 years old, you know, doing the demos and stuff. Did that for a while. And then um, I, I, that, that sort of died out uh, after a while. And then um, back in the early 80s, I was doing a lot of quickie 500 pylon racing. And the, the, the problem we ran into with pylon racers is, you know, most of the guys were using the original, I don't know how far back you guys go, but the Futaba S138 and 148 servos that used to come with the Futaba Conquest radios and the, and the FG series gold box radios. And they were great servos, but there was the the uh, only bearing surface for the output shaft was the plastic case. And, wh- and what would happen, you know, it was just a plastic shaft running in a plastic case. And when you got a pylon racer and, you know, and you got the engine running 15, 16,000 RPM on a tuned pipe, if your prop was even the tiniest bit out of balance, you got a pretty high frequency vibration throughout your airframe. And all of that vibration would just wear out the servos. and You get a lot of slop in your servos. And so what I ended up doing was uh, I didn't, I, you know, back then the the S148 servos were like $12.99 at Tower Hobbies. But the cheapest uh, uh, S5101 servo, which was the cheapest ball bearing servo, they were like $39.99 each. And then you got 
four of them in your pylon racer. And, you know, Quickie 500 pylon races, racers have a life expectancy of about two and a half heats, you know, <laughs> <laughs> before you midair or hit a pylon or overturn and wreck them, you know. And I didn't want to put that much money into my pylon racers. So I thought, well, how can I do this? So I came up with an idea to uh, have a plastic injection mold make made to make a new top for Futaba servos because the, the 28, 38, 48, 128, 138, and 148 servos all use the same top. Mm. And so I made a new top um, and had it, you know, uh, uh, injection molded that had a caveat is that I could press a, a 6 by 10 bearing up in there, and they were the ball bearing servo conversion kits. I don't know if you, any of you guys remember that, but we debuted them back in about 1989, I think, or 1990, somewhere around there. And they just went like gangbusters, you know, and our tagline was for the price of one ball bearing servo, you can upgrade your whole flight plaque. And we sold like a set of four of them for $39.99. So for like, you know, 10 bucks a piece, you could upgrade your $14 servos to ball bearing servos. And then the, the, the output shafts were really tight and they never wore out. Mm. And I sold thousands and thousands and thousands of those. In fact, I bought my bought a house on the money I made off of that particular wow. product. Um, and um, it it just it just was very successful, and it was a very needed product at the time, you know. And so that sort of launched my career back into the RC hobby industry because I had just graduated from college with an electrical engineering degree, and I had just gone to professional flight school because I was going to be an airline pilot. And then there was this huge downturn in the economy, and we got a Democratic president, and they cut all the military funding, and all of the military companies. I used to work for, you know, like Magnavox and Honeywell and stuff like that as a technician when I was younger, and all them contracts dried up, and so all the companies laid people off, and I was looking for something to do. And I had the idea of, you know, doing doing this and um, it was it worked out really well, you know, and I made I made, you know, good money doing that. And I came out with a whole series of other products um, and ended up uh, several years later, like a lot of people do, uh, ended up in a divorce, had to sell the business, you know, split half of it with the ex and everything else. And then I I sold off all of my hobby stuff and I moved out to California. And back in about 2004, when the CD-ROM motor craze started and people started winding their own motors and LiPo batteries first came out and speed controllers started coming out and all this other kind of stuff. And I got really intrigued by that. And I started building motors uh, myself and, and I got back into the hobby and I started building airplanes and bought new radios and all this stuff. And... um it was it was kind of weird because I got a call from, uh, you know, a buddy of mine, uh, Al Tahera, that owns Tahera Microsystems Engineering, and he was telling me about all this cool new. Uh, brushless motor stuff that was going on and i got onto rc groups and i got onto gobrushless.com and you know started doing all that kind of stuff and and then uh at, at the at that time i was working as an electrical engineer at a company that did oceanographic survey work and i was getting kind of bored with that you know and i was looking for something else to do and i really wanted to get back into the hobby industry and um there was an email on rc groups one day from a guy and his his uh, RC Group's handle was Scorpion uh, ESC. 
and he said, hi, my name's George, and I'm coming out with a new line of products, and I'm looking for beta testers for my speed controllers. And so I applied to be a beta tester, and I explained to him who, who I was, and he said, oh, man, you'd be perfect. You know, this is, is really great. And so I, uh, I ended up uh, hooking up with uh, George Van Gansen, the owner, uh, owner of Scorpion at the time, and um, worked with him as a beta tester and helped him develop his speed controllers. And being an electrical engineer, I found some issues with the speed controllers, and I helped him fix those. Uh, by making suggestions on certain components to change and things like that. And th th that helped bring out the speed controllers for the Scorpion motor uh, line. And then it just just completely out of coincidence, uh, George ended up going on vacation with his family in 2006 to San Marcos, California, which is the town that I lived in at the time. Like, what are the odds of that? <laughs> they wanted to go to Legoland. Nice. And so... Um, he was there and he said he wanted to meet me personally and we got to we went out to lunch and got to talk and I started asking him you know what are you going to do with these scorpion products when you get them out there he says, well, I'm, I'm actually looking for, uh, you know, someone to be my U.S. distributor. And I told him, well, you know, I'd been in the hobby industry before. And I, you know, I told him all the stuff I did. He says, yeah, let's talk. And we, we, had, we had multiple conversations after that. And then in about October of 2006, uh, we kind of had a handshake agreement. We agreed that I'd be the U.S. distributor for Scorpion products. And in fact, I was going to be the worldwide distributor for Scorpion products when they first came out until we got all the bugs worked out and everything you know you know smooth and working and then and then we would split it up and have other distributors and so for the first two years i was the sole distributor of scorpion products mm -hmm. um and we sort of made them into a household name um you know and i i was the one that you know invented the concept of doing the propeller charts on all the motors so you knew what kind of performance you would get and you know i built a motor dyno to do all that kind of stuff and you know we launched and you know and and uh, i formed innovative designs as the company to distribute scorpion products back in uh, january of 2007 and we debuted the products at the ama show in uh, uh in california in ontario uh in J in january of 2007 and so that's how i got in started with my third model airplane business and i've been at it ever since we're in our 15th year now that's amazing oh yeah I feel like I just missed you by like a year because I left California in 2007. <laughs> I used to oh, go to the AMA show out there all the time. <laughs> yeah, I moved to California in 2000 in in one two weeks before 9/11. I moved out there on October 28th, and two weeks later we had 9/11. Huh. What part of California? I was on the north side of San Diego in a little town called San Marcos. Oh, okay, cool nice so that's pretty awesome that you can make a living out of the hobby um has your family supported the hobby for the most part oh yeah mm -hmm. nice. in fact in fact you know when i was out in california um three quarters of my employees were family so oh that helps yeah <laughs> and and um so i you know i i uh uh we started out running it out of out of the house in the garage and it very rapidly outgrew that and i had to get a commercial building with offices and stuff and we moved it there in june of 2009 and then it just built and built and built and built and built and then um 
unfortunately, once again, in uh, end of 2016, uh, the person I was in a relationship with, uh, you know, things didn't work out. We decided to go our separate ways, and she was half owner of Innovative Design, so I had to do a corporate buyout and stock shares and all this kind of stuff and cash out my retirement plan to buy my own building back or my own business back you know wow. <laughs> a lot a lot of crazy stuff like that regroup move back home to monroe and you know had the support of my you know blood family because my my dad and uh, mom are still here and all of my brothers and all my nieces and nephews and you know cousins and stuff they're all all still here in monroe so had a big support group here when i came back and we've just uh, we spent a couple of years rebuilding and regrowing the business and just about the time we were ready to really hit the ground running in about march of last year covid happened and everything came to a screeching halt and so we've uh we did another year of kind of slow growth while we were waiting for this whole thing to blow over. And now, um, you know, uh, China's in the throes of Chinese New Year right now. So mm-hmm. that, that country shut down for two weeks. And and so there's a, there's a lot of, you know, stuff in the hobby industry that's on hold until, you know, the first week of March right now. So we're just, uh, you know, working on stuff and working on new products and, and, and expanding our product lines and, and just getting everything geared up for, you know, 2021 to be a good year for us. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So, uh, obviously, well, here was something that I was thinking about earlier too, when you were talking about 2007, what I didn't realize is that in 2009, when I got into helicopters, uh, you'd only been around with innovative designs for two years. And, mm-hmm. uh, but by then you'd made quite a name for yourself. Like, I mean, a lot of people knew who you were and, and of course you, uh, you know, helped everyone out with even maintenance of Scorp- Scorpion motors and, and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Right. Um, but in addition to the Scorpion distribution, were there other things that you were promoting at that time too with Innovative Designs or was it just Scorpion? Well, we started out just with Scorpion. And then um, a couple of years later, we brought on another uh, lower cost um, motor brand called Cobra that I helped design. Mm, okay, right. Uh, it- in 2010 and then we became an apc prop distributor and we carried you know all the uh, all the stuff that goes with power systems you know motor mounts and servo extensions and bullet connectors and all that kind of stuff and we were we were primarily a power system specialist you know we were the ones that you know like if you go to the hobby shop what motor do you need oh i don't know that one will probably work you know and you come to us and it's like well if you get to 28 20-17 and you put it on you know 11.7 prop it's going to pull 47 amps and it's going to spin it you know 11,000 rpm make you 67 ounces of thrust and boom you know because i personally tested every single motor that we sold with about a hundred different voltage and prop combinations on the dyno and had all that data so i knew exactly the performance of every motor we sold so somebody called me and said hey what motor do i put on this it's like put that one on it and they call me back like oh my god it's awesome it's exactly what i wanted it's like yeah that's that's what i do for a living you know so yeah um we're probably um you know there's uh uh, RC Dude Hobbies, uh, which is one of our top. Uh, in fact, RC Dude Hobbies was the first district, the first hobby shop that we picked up as the Scorpion distributor. So Randy and I um, have a 15 year history going back together. And uh, so 
you know, he's he's another guy that's awesome, and and um, he carries um, the he carries both the badass and the Cobra brands as well, and uh, all the you know accessory products, and we work together on a lot of stuff. Uh, so uh, it's it's been a, a long a long journey, you know, through all that stuff, and we're continuing to expand. I'm I'm, I'm actually in the process of I, I I I'm bringing on a third motor line that's that's going to be. Um, sort of in between the Cobra line and the badass line. And we have some other products in the works. We're, we're going to get our own house brand of uh, propellers. And uh, we just, we just brought on a line of tools and uh, we've, we just brought on a a new line of chargers and uh, all kinds of connectors and battery adapters and stuff. So we're this, this year has been a big expansion year for us, bringing on all kinds of new product lines. Oh, good. That sounds sounds pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so, getting back to the Scorpion distribution, you got you got talked about the Scorpion Maintenance Center. What did this entail? Well, what we we what we did is we had we had a tech lab here, and we acted as the service center for all of the Scorpion motors sold in the United States. If anybody had any problems with them. You know, if they had warranty issues or if they crashed them and they wanted them, you know, professionally, you know, cleaned and rebuilt and, you know, the bad parts replaced and then, you know, checked and tested, you know, sort of recertified and shipped back out. We did all that. Oh. You know, we, we stocked all the bearings and all the parts and we had a, a pretty good supply of motors that people had like over over propped or over geared in helicopters and burned the windings out of but we still had like good rotor cans and stuff and so we had a big supply of you know good used parts that we could use to you know rebuild people's motors for them if they couldn't afford to do it do it you know buy a new motor you know we could usually for about half the price of a new motor we could you know refurbish one for them and um and we we handled all of that and and you know took care of all the warranty and and everything you know for god you know 12 about 12 years yeah cool so tell us a little bit about the scorpion product line departure from when you guys moved on at innovative design well i mean it was it was one of those things where you know um i think it was it it was a kind of a twofold thing i know that uh i had i had spoken with uh with george the owner of the company and he was he was at a point uh you know him and i are the same age he's like exactly six weeks to the day younger than i am and he he was to the point of uh he was wanting to retire and he was going to sell his shares of uh stock in the company uh to you know finance his retirement but he was going to stay on as a technical advisor with the company um which you know which is what he told me and um he said that the the new owners wanted to have a a a new distributor that was more helicopter centered because that was the the you know main focus of their business and and quite honestly with with some of the things that i had had been going through in my personal life and having to move back to michigan and missing a few shows that i just couldn't go to and stuff it was um it was a a, a thing where it, it you know, I honestly, I, I couldn't represent the product like I used to for that period of time. And um, 
you know, uh, the new owners want, like I said, they wanted to move it over to somebody that was more uh, helicopter. And, you know, George and Ralph from Mikado were always really tight. They always, you know, like uh, Ralph always designed his V-bar stuff to integrate with Scorpion. And Scorpion always asked, you know, George from, you know, uh, Mikado how, what kind of protocols they needed in their speed controllers to be able to talk to the, you know, the Mikado V-bar radios and stuff. And a lot of the, a lot of the Mikado pilots were all also scorpion pilots you know like like kyle Dahl and uh you know a few others and and it, it just it, there was a synergy there between mikado and scorpion all the time so when they when they wanted to look for a new distributor it was kind of a natural thing for you know mikado usa to take take the scorpion line over and um and, and and another another part of it was that you know we used to sell gazillions of you know helicopter motors but what had happened over the years was um a lot of the helicopter manufacturers started um including scorpion motors in their kits yeah mm -hmm. you may have noticed that a lot of mikado helicopters come with scorpion motors a lot of gowie helicopters a lot of msh helicopters you know uh you know a lot of the protos helicopters you know where they were all coming with scorpion motors already well every helicopter kit that comes with a scorpion motor in it is one that i can't sell because the guy's already got the motor and and so there was sort of a a decline and my ability to sell motors because they were coming in all the helicopter kits. So as you know, it was kind of that combined with you know a bunch of other things, change of ownership, um, and everything. And you know, George and I parted you know in good company. You know, it's not like we're you know mad at each other or anything. We just yeah. we just knew that you know it, we 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 did it while we we, we you know I, you know I sold the crap out of Scorpion stuff for you know ten solid years and was there. And you know, I always told people you know George made Scorpion. Scorpion Motors, but I made Scorpion a household name in what I did, yeah, sure. you know, and so um, and we had a great synergistic relationship and it just it just worked its course, you know, and, and it was actually better for the brand to be teamed up with Mikado. And so in October of 2018, you know, I got uh, I got a, an email from from George saying that, um, you know, you know, I'm sorry to say, you know, we're 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 going to we're going to move over to these other guys. And um, he says, hey, we've had a great, great run with this thing. And, you know, he says, if you're ever in Hong Kong, look me up you know so um that that's sort of you know how it ended and um and i had my own motor brand in the background that i had been working on for a couple of years for a, a new uh airplane motor line and when i heard you know that we weren't going to be doing uh, scorpion anymore then i launched into that and then we, we brought out our own uh badass motor line which was uh as far as i you know i'm concerned one of the one of the finest technologically advanced brushless motors that's ever been offered Awesome. And 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 so I've um, and and so you know I I put a lot of a lot of my time and a lot of my energy into effectively someone else's business, and now um, as I'm getting up in age, um, I want to I want to put all my time into my own business now. Sure, makes sense. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So instead of talking about things that make money, let's talk about things that uh, cost us money. You're <laughs> also on <laughs> the podcast. All things that fly, right? 
Yeah, I mean, it was kind of weird. I actually have been involved with the All Things That Fight podcast since 2008. Mm. I, I I just sort of found that somebody somebody said something about, hey, did you hear about this All Things That Fly podcast? Or I saw an advertisement for it on RC Groups, and I started list to, listening to it. I go, wow, this is pretty cool. And I started listening to the guys, and they were talking about all this stuff. And um, I, I got a call from just plain Chris from Inside Heli mm-hmm. um, back in 2008. And I told him that I was going to be going, you know, in June of 2008, I was going to be going to uh, Hong Kong to, for a week to tour the Scorpion factory. And we were also going to go do the Shanghai model show up in China. And then I was going to come back to Hong Kong for a little while and then go back. And he says, if, if you would like, you know, I can come on the show as a guest and tell you about my visit to the scorpion factory because oh dude that'd be awesome you know so in i think it was in august of 2008 after i got back and they you know they had some other guests lined up already they brought me on and we talked about the scorpion factory and how they built the motors and and everything else and being at the shanghai show and all that kind of stuff. And um, then they started asking me, and it's like, wow, you know, do you think you'd want to come on the show every now and then and do like a power system thing and answer people's questions? Like, yeah, sure. So I, I kind of came on as a guest host, you know, several times. And then one of the other hosts was getting ready to leave the show. And they asked me, it's like, hey, do you want to take his place and be on the show every week? And, you know, sort of as the third host. I said, yeah, sure. So, you know, I, you know, somewhere towards the end of 2008, I came on board as a full-time host and I have sort of outlived every other host of the show now because uh, all the other hosts that were on the show, you know, sort of came, family things came up, you know, Diggs, you know, came and went and Daniel came and went and Mm -hmm. a couple of other guys. And then, and then it was, uh, and then uh, Moose left the show and then it was just me and Daniel for a while. And then Daniel got this awesome job google and he was like working 100 hours a week and all this other kind of stuff and you know i was doing other things and we just sort of back in like 2014 we just all got so busy and um we just decided to kind of take a hiatus on it and it ended up being a six-year hiatus and then um you know back about a month ago I was sitting in my office kind of reliving the the old past, and I was looking at some of the old All Things That Fly show, and it's like, man, I would really love to get that back. And just as soon as I'm thinking that, I got a text from Moose saying, hey, I've been thinking about getting the show back together. And then it's like, <laughs> yeah, me too. It's like, well, let's do it. Okay. You know, so, you know, a couple or, uh, a few weeks ago, we, we did a, a comeback show. Uh, show number 291 which we released in the middle of january and we just re- we just did show 292 last night and i just mixed it up earlier tonight and got it up online so you know that's sort of how i got involved with you know all things that fly and because of my inside experience of being an industry person and owning a company in the hobby industry and going to a lot of trade shows and also being you know one of the one of the country's leading experts on electric power systems for both aircraft and helicopters and multi-rotors and all that other kind of stuff it was just a natural fit for me to sort of be the tech geek guy of the crew you know and and answer all the you know the power system questions and it's been it's been fun i've loved doing it that's awesome yeah yeah so, uh, before you quit, how many did uh, how many episodes did you guys do? Well, we closed the show at episode two ninety. Okay, 
and we just we 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 didn't you know so there was a six year break between episode two ninety and two ninety one, and right. like I said, we just we just closed out two ninety two yesterday. Had we been doing shows because we typically did three a month and sometimes four a month, um, you know we'd be up at show like five hundred by now if we'd have kept up with it. Oh but yeah, yeah. Didn't so we're we're you know we're we'll be hitting three hundred here and uh, a couple of months. Is it weekly or biweekly? Well, right now, as we uh, originally it was weekly, we got together every week and did a show unless there was like Easter or Thanksgiving or, you know, somehow or somebody was out of town. We just couldn't do it. But we always got either three or four shows every month for years. Okay. And, um, you know, that 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 may have contributed to the burnout, you know, of of doing it so much. But Moose and I are have sort of agreed on a biweekly show right now and maybe a special event third show a month, uh, you know, for right now. So that's kind of kind of the, the plan we've got in place. Yeah. And it's a lot to do it weekly. I mean, we, mm-hmm. you know, free fall, they do it weekly and it, I mean, hats off to them, but there's just no way I could, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's a lot to, to come up with and provide, you know, and, and they're amazing at it because they just, I mean, sometimes they don't have a show topic until they sit behind the mic and they come up with something and I'm just blows my mind. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I couldn't do that, but, uh. So, uh, motivation, what was the motivation to bring it back? I know you said Moose was giving you a call, but, uh, I mean, what was the ultimate reason for wanting to resurrect all things that fly? Well, you know, being in the hobby industry, I get, you know, dozens of emails every day with questions from people, um, and, and, you know, asking about and, and and you get that same group of 12 beginners questions. Like the guys have the t-shirts with the 12 questions that everybody always asks, you know, at the flying field on the back of their t-shirt kind of thing. You know, it, it, it's like that, you know, in, in my business as well. And I have the same newbies getting started and asking the same questions about, you know, model airplane, uh, you know, electric power systems and stuff. And, um, I've, you know, um, I'm going to be celebrating my 60th birthday here in a couple of months. And I'm, I'm looking back at my life and it's like, I have just got this legacy of knowledge that I've picked up over being in the hobby for 45 years. And I want to get that out to as many people as I can while I can still do it. And that was a big motivating factor for me to do the show. And it's just, is just to pass on that knowledge to people so that, um, you know, we, we get more people involved in the hobby and they don't make the dumb mistakes stakes and they we try and you know make it to where you know they they're excited and they and they and they have a good experience in the hobby instead of you know people that go out there don't know what they're doing crash break it burn it up and get tired and move on to something else and never touch it again you know that doesn't do any of us any good so that you know that that was like one of my biggest motivations was just to pass on what i know to other people okay very cool cool so now that you guys are back, so what are your plans? Do you guys, what are you guys giving to the listeners? Just more knowledge, like you mentioned, or what well, else we, are you we, planning we, on? What we try and do is, you know, we, we have a, you know, an email address and we ask, you know, our listeners, you know, if, if they want a certain topic covered or if they want more information about a certain company in the industry or about certain products in the industry. And then we'll reach out um, to those companies and and get a representative from the company to come on the show and talk to us uh, we've done that many times you know we've we've had like sean spiker you know from high tech servos on mm-hmm. several times and you know we've we've had uh uh 
oh my gosh, I'm trying to think of some of the people we've had. Uh, Chris Anderson, you know, from uh, oh, 3D Robotics. We've oh, had, God. we've had, yeah, we've had him on the show. I, I mean, we've, we've had uh, uh, a, a lot of other, you know, industry people from different, uh, you know, fuel companies and motor companies and charger companies. And I mean, it's, it's, you go back and look at the show notes, you can see all the different guests, you know, we've had on over the years. And um, we, you know, we always used to do a thing called the power system corner and we'd have our guests send us their power system questions and we would answer them, you know, you know, it's like, Hey, Jim from Spokane wants to know, you know, and then we'd read his question and, um, uh, and then we'd, we'd answer it. And, you know, there's probably 500 other guys that have that same question, you know, so that, you know, yeah. you're answering it to them as well. And uh, so we also try to get out to events and report on events um, that we've been to. And like, I would always do reports on all the trade shows that I attended because I was doing all the big industry trade shows. Um, you know, and a lot of times I'd, I'd be doing an all things that fly episode from my hotel room while I was at the Toledo show or while I was at the, you know, uh, AMA show or something like that, sort of kind of like a live on the scene kind of, kind of thing. So, uh, we're, when we've re-released the show, we've been asking our, our listenership, you know, what do you want us to cover? This is we're doing a show for you guys. So tell us what you want and we'll do it. You know? Yeah. 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 So where can we find all things that fly? Cause I know I have been looking on my, um, iPhone and I haven't seen it come up in my podcast so I was wondering you know where can we stream it and download it well, and all that if, good stuff if you go to our website which is all things that fly.com um, okay. you can download it directly um, we our, our show used to be automatically uploaded to iTunes and after we launched um, episode 291 last week we realized that um, our account with iTunes had been like suspended because of inactivity because we didn't do anything for six years. Yeah. Yeah. And so we have to go through the process of resubmitting our show to iTunes and get that approved. And as soon as we get that done, then we'll be back on the iTunes stream. Oh, great. Yeah. Nice. Awesome. Well, cool. Uh, I tell you what, let's dive into something really fun. Uh, something that I know you absolutely love, which is okay. uh, motors. <laughs> mm-hmm. So let's tear them apart. Let's talk about it. Um, mm-hmm. You yeah, know, let's give it a, a whirl. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Let's give it a spin, right? Give it a spin. Another <laughs> spin. So what are the major uh, major subparts of a motor in detail? Well, you know, our motors that we have today, um, probably 98% of the motors that are used in the hobby are what they classify as an outrunner type motor. And in an out, outrunner motor, the whole entire outer can of the motor rotates um, and the magnets are glued to the inside surface of that metal ring, which we, which we call a flux ring. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, at one end of the ring is a, an aluminum machine part called an end bell. And that's what holds the shaft down the center of the motor. Um, and so, you know, the rotor assembly consists of the flux ring, the end bell, the magnets, and the motor shaft. And that I'll piece... I'll interrupt you. 
I want to interrupt you right there before we get too far. Um, yeah. Can you can you drop in real quick the differences between an outrunner and an inrunner? Yeah. Maybe, maybe why you'd want an outrunner and why that's the majority of what we got today. Yeah, sure. Uh, um, and, and so the, I was just kind of go over the, the construction of an outrun of an outrunner motor. The statter part of an outrunner motor, which is where the coils of wire are wrapped around, um, that is stationary in the center of the motor. And then the rotor can spins around it. That's what's the sort of the definition of an outrunner. In an inrunner motor, the stator coil is the outside part of the motor, and all the stator poles face inward to a circular cutout in the middle. And then your rotor consists of nothing more than a cylindrical magnet that's glued to a steel shaft. Mm. Now, in most inrunner motors, You've got a solid chunk of the neodymium iron boron material that our, you know, uh, super magnets that we use in our motors are made from. And that is that that uh, it's a ceramic material that will hold magnetism really well. And they will take that cylindrical piece of material and they put it inside this ginormous electromagnet that has four pole faces on it and they shove you know north pole you know to like the 12 o'clock and the six o'clock position and south pole to the three o'clock and the nine o'clock position on this thing and they pulse it with this you know massive uh electromagnetic impulse and that locks it into the and then that magnetizes the rotor so that rotor has typically four magnetic pole faces as it rotates it's like a pie cut into four pieces and, you, and it alternates north south north south as it goes around and then the the uh the stator assembly in most um uh in runner type motors will have six slots but some of them will also have uh you know like 12 slots and what what you do um in in a in runner type motor um now let me back up one thing on on our speed controllers you know these motors are all three phase motors and they they the way that they rotate is by electronically sending power like to phase a and phase b and then the motor will rotate until the magnets line up with the energized poles that are connected to those wires and then it sends power to phase b and phase c and then it rotates again and then it sends power to phase c and phase a and it rotates again and then you just repeat that over and over and over and over again now in a speed controller, every time it goes through its three-phase cycle, the motor will rotate through two magnet poles. So in an in-runner type motor, it takes two full cycles of the speed controller to make the motor go around one time. Um, and b because of that, each pulse, um, the, the, the motor is rotating like uh almost uh 40 it's rotating 45 degrees every pulse cycle if it's got a four pole a magnet in it and if you look in most in runner motors the diameter of the magnet that's inside that motor is pretty small i mean it's you know like about as big around as your finger you know like maybe 12 or 15 millimeters or 20 millimeters depending on the size of the in runner motor and so the torque moments you have where you know where the magnet interacts with the stator to the center of the um axle shaft is only about 
you know, six, eight, maybe 10 millimeters. So you don't have a real big moment arm for them to work. So the combination of the fact that you have a short moment arm and a long distance between power pulses, in-runner motors don't make much torque but they spin really really fast so when you use in runner motors in things like airplanes you can't direct drive them unless you know you're turning like a six inch prop at 30,000 rpm or something if you've ever seen like hacker you know used to make in runner motors they always had like a five to one or a six to one planetary gearbox on the front of them that would reduce that motor speed to something usable for a propeller now, when you go back to an outrunner, the, the most standard way that most um, outrunner motors are constructed are with what they call a DL, DLRK wind, where you have a 12-slot stator and you have 14 magnets attached to the inside of the rotor can. And because there's 14 magnets, the speed controller has to go through seven complete switching cycles to make the motor rotate one time. And each time it moves, it only moves about like eight or nine degrees per phase shift. And if you look at the distance from the center of the axle out to the magnets on the outer you know, rotor can, it's like two to three times the distance of what you have in an in runner typically. And so when you combine those two things, you have what is the equivalent of like a seven to one electrical reduction unit built into an outrunner motor. That's why outrunner motors produce so much torque and they can direct drive propellers without the use of any gearboxes. Where an in-runner motor, you have to run it through a gear reduction. Now in helicopter motors or, or uh, in helicopters in general, you know, you typically have, you know, like a 150 tooth main gear and you got like a 10 tooth pinion gear. So you've got a 15 to one reduction between the motor and the rotor head already. So, you know, back in the day, there were a few high end motors from companies like New Energy and uh, Hacker and a couple of other ones where early helicopters did use in runner motors, but the torque advantages and the flexibility of the outrunner motors is just so much greater that they just became the norm. And now, like probably 98% of the motors used in the hobby are um, the outrunner style. Now, in helicopter motors, you will see some hybrid patterns because when you're doing high-speed motors, you know, like the little 2221 motors that are in the 450 class and, and you know, motors with KV values of like 4,000 or something, if you've got 14 magnets in, in the ring, the speed controller can't switch fast enough to make that motor spin at full speed. So in, in those kind of motors, a lot of times what they'll do is they'll use like a, a nine-slot stator with six magnets. And, and what that'll do is it, the, the motor rotates uh, uh, a bigger distance with each pulse from the, from the speed controller. And so it's capable of running at a much higher RPM. You know, like the, the Scorpion 2221-6 motor had a KV value of 4,400. And guys were running those things on four cells in the, in the motor screaming at like 50,000 RPM in those things. And, you know, the guys are running 3,000 RPM head speeds, you know, in the, in the you know, T-Rex 450s and just going absolutely crazy with them. Um, and sometimes, I, I mean, uh, Kyle, Kyle 
Paul Dahl one time took a T-Rex 450, and he he ran a uh, uh, a Dash 6 motor on 4S, and he was running a 4,000 RPM head speed on it, and it was insanity to see that thing fly around but you know that's that's just kind of you know the the difference between the two kinds of motors and why the outrunners you know are so common now nice i, I learned a lot about the torque on that i never even thought the torque advantage that's cool so other than torque characteristics and stuff let's talk about some some data for motors so mm-hmm. let's pull kv for instance and uh-huh. maybe clear up some misconceptions with what that really means and then mm-hmm how you come up with that rating as far as like what dictates the kv of a motor okay um well a lot of times when people see the term kv if they've been in high power electronics before or you know anything like that they think it means kilovolts and i you know i get people all the time that say hey you know i need a 2800 kilovolt motor and it's like no you don't you die if you plugged it in you got too close to it you know but you you know it, it the kv is simply the the voltage constant of a motor it's expressed in rpm per volt and what it means is how fast the motor will spin as a function of the applied voltage in a no load situation so if you have a motor that has a 1000 kv and you run it from a six cell pack and that that six cell pack is putting out 22.2 volts then that motor will spin at 22,200 RPM. It's just simply 22.2 times 1,000. Just sitting there in the hilly with no pinion gear on it, no nothing, just spinning um, with no load. The, the, the KV value is the multiplier for the no load speed of a motor. And to get the speed of the motor, you simply multiply the KV value times the applied voltage of the battery pack. Now, every motor will spin at a slightly lower speed than that because of the drag you know the air drag of the the fan blowing air through the motor and the drag of the bearings and just the actual air drag of the motor spinning and a lot of people uh don't understand how motors actually work and how they actually pull current because you would think okay this motor has if you if you look in the specs you know like a a scorpion hk4035 helicopter motor and it tells you that the rm value is is 0.01 ohms or 10 milli ohms and then you go then you go well if i put if i put you know a 12 cell battery across that and i put 44 volts across 0.01 ohms holy crap that thing's going to pull 4400 amps of current because if you do ohms law you know voltage divided by resistance that's what it works out to but see what happens is when a motor is spinning not only is it acting as a motor but it's also acting as a generator and it's generating a voltage that is in the negative polarity to the applied voltage and so what happens is um, a motor that you apply, um, let's, just, let's just do round even numbers and say we're putting 20 volts on the motor. The motor will generate like 19.98 volts back. So the difference is only point, uh, uh, 0.02 volts. And if you take 0.02 volts and you divide it by 0.02 uh, or by 0.01 ohms, you get two amps. And that happens to be the no load current of that motor because it's generating a back voltage 
that's almost equal to the applied voltage, but not quite. Now, what happens is when you start loading this motor down and it starts slowing down, if, if, if the motor slows down, to you know if if it's got a kv of a thousand and it's spinning at twenty thousand rpm and we put a prop on it and we load it down you know to eighteen thousand rpm well now it's getting 20 volts but it's maybe only kicking back um you know like 19.7 volts and you take that voltage difference and you divide it by the rm value of the motor now the motor's pulling like you know 30 or 40 amps of current and as the motor slows down, it pulls more and more and more current because it can't generate as much back voltage. And so the the, the differential between the, the applied voltage and the generated voltage divided by the RM value gives you the current. And you can get to a point where the, the current is so high that when you're pumping that current through the windings of the motor if you start doing you know the power loss ohms law calculations you know you're you're feeding like 2000 watts of power into this motor but 250 watts of it is just going up in heat and then the, and then that makes the motor get hot and um it will heat to a point where it can start damaging the motor so with any brushless motor the maximum current that it's capable of pulling is purely a function of how much heat it can dissipate and how fast it can dissipate it and more efficient motors will not dissipate uh as much heat internally when when, when you look at two motors and and one of them is a, a basic decent motor that's like 80 percent efficient well if you put a thousand watts of power into that motor you're going to get 200 watts of heat and, and then people say, well, if I got a motor that's 90% efficient, then it's, it's only 10% more efficient than the 80% motor. But it's actually 100% more efficient because you got to look at the inefficiencies. One motor is 20% inefficient. The other motor is 10% inefficient. So if you run 1,000 watts of power into the 80% efficient motor, you get 200 watts of heat. And if that's the maximum heat that that motor can withstand, then that's your maximum current. If you take that same motor that's uh, or a different motor and you run that same current into it that's 90% efficient, now you can run 2,000 watts of power through that motor and only have 200 watts of heat energy and the rest of it goes through. So the more efficient motors can handle dramatically more current without overheating than the cheaper motors can. And that's where Scorpion really shine because they uh when, when george designed those motors he was using the best magnets that were available at the time and the best steel and the best stator materials and all of that kind of stuff and if and, and when you've got a motor that's like 89 90 91 percent efficient compared to other motors that were coming out that were like 82 or 83 percent efficient the scorpion motors were able to handle like 40 or 50 percent more current without overheating and they just became an immediate you know overwhelming success in the hobby industry because um you know guys that were burning up motors left and right you know they throw a scorpion motor in and you know they they run the hell out of it and you know never it never uh never burns up so that's sort of you know the physics behind uh you know motors what heats them up and you know how your know, motor efficiency has a huge part to play in the the overall throughput uh power wise of a motor very cool <laughs> a lot of information there.
Yeah. Uh, well, speaking of uh, really great motors, let's uh, switch gears for just a moment. And uh, obviously, you have your own motor line now that you're working on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so why don't you tell us about these badass motors and um, and what makes your motor line different than others? Well, you know, when when I sat out to to design my own motor and put my name on it, you know, I was wanting to take, you know, the the almost 15 years of experience that I had working with motors and also take the most modern uh, technology materials that are available and put them all together in one in one motor. Um, You know, with, with every piece of the motor, you can cut corners or you can spend a little bit more money and get a better product. Mm. Um, you know, for example, um, most brushless motors that are good motors are machined with uh, 6061T6 aluminum bar stock. It's great material. Uh, you know, all kinds of motors are made from it. Um, there's a grade of material, a step above that 7075, which is a higher silicon content. It is a stiffer material. It's a stronger material. Um, and so that's what we used to make our uh, our badass motors because it's it's less likely to deflect under load um, and it's it's way stronger and you know the we even make our prop adapters out of 7075 material mm. um, which is almost unheard of and when I was testing the the badass 35 millimeter motors I tested like the entire series of motors like all 11 of them or something and I used the same prop adapter on every single motor and I probably had somewhere in the neighborhood of six or seven hundred prop changes on that one prop adapter and it still looked new and it's aluminum but it's you know it's a really high grade of aluminum you you know you get some of these no name cheapy cheap motors and they're using junk you know aluminum bar stock mm-hmm. and you tighten it down too tight one time and you and you mush all the threads right off the the prop adapter and you got to throw it away you know that's that's sort of the difference um when when it came to magnets we used um the new N52 magnets, which are the strongest magnets you can get that still have a decent temperature rating. Um, and, you know, we went with, the, you know, the curved magnets like Scorpion uses. So you have a more consistent air gap between the magnets and the stator. We also spec'd out the Kawasaki uh, Japanese stator lamination material, which is, you know, world renowned for its its uh, efficiency and its uh very narrow bh curve if you if you look at the losses in transformer materials um there there, there's a thing called a bh curve which is the residual magnetism left over when it switches from a positive pole to a negative pole and the narrower that curve is you know the better the motor is and the less internal heating you get in the motor um and then when it came to bearings you know there's all kinds of bearings but we we spec'd out um um nmb and nsk uh, bearings, which are the you know top the two top of the line bearing manufacturers. Sometimes you can't get one or the other because of stocking issues, and so we will use either one. But they're like the two best that that are available. Okay. And then the steels that we used in the in the flux ring is a a very uh, high permeability material that 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 transmits the magnetic flow through the can of the motor very efficiently and and so you know when you put all of these things together you know when you gain a percent of efficiency here and you gain a percent of efficiency there and you make it a little bit stronger here and there when you put all those things together you get an an incredible motor that actually 
exceeded my design expectations when i got them and started testing them i was like holy crap i started testing the 35 millimeter motors and i was thinking this motor was going to top out at about 95 amps and my power supply that i was using to test the motors it's a 45 volt 110 amp power supply and when i started getting to the big props on this one motor i actually pegged the current of the power supply and the voltage started folding back so i couldn't test anymore <laughs> and um i recently bought a new power supply i had a 45 volt um 110 amp power supply and i just got a new one in an ebay auction that is a zero to 60 volt um up to 250 amps it takes two two grown men to pick this thing up i mean it's massive mm. uh, but that's that's going on my test station because when the new badass 45 millimeter motors come out i don't have a power supply big enough to test them sure. that's why i had to i had to spend the money to get this bigger power supply i'm getting ready to install that in my in my test station but i mean this thing's like two and a half feet long and you know 18 inches wide and you know almost a foot tall and it's it's actually got five 60 volt 50 amp power supply modules all lashed together in parallel inside the thing it's 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 an absolute beast hmm. um you, but that's you dyno all of your motors don't you yeah i've actually built a, my own motor dyno and it's all uh, computer controlled and when, when we test our motors what we do is we we test them with a wide variety of different propellers to determine the maximum current value of the motor and when we test them i have an infrared temperature probe that i install in the back of the motor that's like looking right at the stator poles in the back side of the motor and i monitor the temperature as we're going through the tests and when the core of the motor during a test heats up to 200 degrees fahrenheit that's my limit on on i mean the, the materials that are in the motor will go up to like 350 degrees fahrenheit sure. yeah but um in my test when when the when the core of the motor is getting up to 200 degrees fahrenheit that's where i call the maximum current rating so we've got some headroom to work with you know and if somebody if somebody runs it at that current rating they're not going to burn it up right right and and so you know i've got i've got like a ball bearing teeter assembly and i install the motor so it's in a pusher configuration and it pushes down on a thrust cell and and it measures the thrust produced and it i've got an optical uh tachometer that I shine a light beam through the propeller to the optical sensor to measure the RPM, and then that gets recorded. And it also measures the uh, the current and the the motor RPM, the voltage, the wattage, um, all of that stuff is me is measured like four times a second throughout the test, and it's stored in a big data file. And what I do is uh, I have a pre-canned test that that steps the motor up to 10% power for six seconds, and then 20% power for six seconds seconds and then 30 40 50 all the way up to 100% power and then it sits at 100% power for 10 seconds and that's where I you know it's building up heat the whole time and then I get that big heat soak at the, at the end and we do, then I can listen where is, is the motor starting to sag because it's getting too hot or anything and we record all that data and then I crunch all them numbers and pull them out and put them in you know excel spreadsheets and then we publish those on our website and you know some of our motors if you actually count, there's like 110 
voltage and prop combinations because we'll test the motor at three cell four cell five cell six cell and sometimes eight cell and with all kinds of different propellers for any possible combination anybody could ever want to do with this motor and we have all that data and then later on when i want to when somebody says hey you know i've got a chaos 60 airplane and i want to electrify it what do i need and then i can go back through all of this data and I can look up a motor and I can look at the prop that they want to use and the battery that they want to use and pick a motor that's going to give them the performance they need. Mm-hmm. And so without this data, you have no idea what your motor is going to do. Sure. You know, when I think back, you know, I've probably got somewhere around three or 4,000 hours of my life, you know, sitting at my motor dyno testing motors, you know, with my noise canceling headset on uh, listening to Pink Floyd music and crunching numbers and writing down data. And, and so I think we're the only company out there that actually does the prop charts to the level that we do. I know there's a few companies out there that will have some data on some props, you know, like maybe five or six props, mm-hmm. but there's nobody else out there that gives you like a hundred different prop and, and voltage combinations for each motor. Because, um, you know, with some of our motors, you know, some guys might want to spin uh, a big prop, you know, in a Piper Cub and they want to spin an 18 inch prop slowly because they don't want to go very fast. And then they might have, you know, like a pylon racer and they want to, Instead of running on six cells, they want to run it on 10 cells and run a 12, 12 props. They can go 150 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. So, you know, our motors are very um, dynamic in all the different applications that you can use them in. And, you know, uh, electric motors are like that. You know, compared to glow engines, you know, a, a glow engine is a constant power machine. It always makes the same amount of power every time the piston fires. And whatever size piston or whatever size propeller you put on that, you know, piston glow engine, it will spin at whatever speed it takes to absorb that power mm-hmm. with the drag of the prop. Electric motors are the exact opposite. An electric motor is a constant RPM machine. And it always tries to spin at that same RPM. And as you put bigger and bigger and bigger props on it, it just pulls more and more and more current Mm -hmm. trying to spin the prop. And it will keep doing that until it eventually pulls so much current it burns itself up. And so... um, when when you look at you know two stroke glow engines versus electric motors, they're exact opposites. You know, uh, a a glow engine can be damaged by running too small of a prop, where the engine spins too fast and you know the rod snaps or the crank pin breaks or something like that. Um, glow or electric motors can be damaged by too big of a prop. If you put a prop on it that makes it pull too much current, that'll burn up. You can run the motor with no prop and it'll, it'll just sit there and spin doing nothing. But you, you can't really damage a motor by running it without a prop if it's an electric, unless you just let it sit there and do it for a long time and it just builds up heat because there's no airflow over it, you know? And, and so, and that, that's where a lot of times people have problems with electric motors is uh, in, in, in a lot of companies, I think, do a disservice to the modeling community by calling a motor like a Power 46 or a NMS, you know, 40 motor or whatever their company is, you know, because it makes the power of a 40 glow engine. It only makes the power of a 40 glow engine on a certain battery with a certain prop. I can take a motor that is capable of making 1,200 watts of power with the right propeller, you know, like let's say a 13.8 prop, and it makes the power of a 60 glow engine. Mm-hmm. If, I t- if, if I take that same motor and I put an 11.7 prop on it, now it's only going to make 800 watts of power and it's going to make the power of a 40. 
If I take that 11.7 off, put a 10.6 on it, now it's only going to make 500 watts of power, and it's going to be like a 25. Right. Um, and, and, and a lot of guys, they'll buy an electric motor that's called a something-something 40, and they're so used to putting a 10.6 prop on their 40-sized, you know, glow airplane engine. They put a 10.6 prop on it, and they put a battery on it, and it's only making the power of like a, a 19 or, a, you know, a 20, and they're really disappointed with the performance of it because they don't understand the dynamics of electric motors mm-hmm. and how, um, you know, with, with a glow engine, the, pro, the, the motor pushes power into the propeller. In an electric motor, the propeller pulls the power out of the motor. So, again, exact opposites. And I know you guys, you know, it's a heli show, and you guys, um, you know, are are concerned with helis. And with electric motors, helicopters are like an extreme environment. Right. Um, With an airplane, you have a fixed constant load because the propellers are fixed pitch and they never change. You know, if if you've got a mo if you got a prop on that motor that pulls eight hundred watts of power, it's never gonna pull more than eight hundred watts of power. And you can goose the throttle, you know, from idle to full throttle and it'll go up to eight hundred watts of power and then back down. When you got a helicopter and you're pulling plus or minus twelve or thirteen degrees of collective pitch, you can be sitting there in a hover with only about three degrees of collective. And, you know, 2,200 RPM head speed and the motor's pulling like 20 amps of current. Mm-hmm. Then you go full collective. You go wham, 13 degrees of pitch. The current all of a sudden goes from 20 amps to like 350 amps for like a half a second, <laughs> you know. And then as the helicopter starts to accelerate and move, you know, the the, bla- the head starts to unload a little bit. And then that current comes down and it settles in about 100 amps. You know, and then uh, and then when you get to the top and you 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 know you know you blow your collective back to neutral, then the current goes from you know 100 amps down to nothing for a second, and then it settles into a hover and it comes back up to 20 amps. Or if you're sitting there doing like you know crazy TikToks and you're going uh, you know real hard like plus 10 minus 10 plus 10 minus 10 back and forth back and forth back and forth, you know your current going through your motor will go as as you as you transition through neutral the current drops to like five amps but then as you pound it and do your reversal on one side of the tiktok the current will surge to 150 amps and then as you as you come back over the top and you start feeding in collective the other way the current will drop back to like four or five amps and then wham you get slammed with 150 amps of current again you know if you look at the the data plot of a helicopter, you know, from a uh, a data logging speed controller versus the data plot from an airplane, you know, they are like two extremely opposite ends of the performance world, sure. and and that's why you know helicopters are like the most abusive thing you can put a motor in. Probably actually not the the most abusive thing you can put an electric motor in is a boat, mm-hmm. because because they go from zero load to like a totally uncompressible medium and just load the crap out of it and then pop out of the water again and go to zero load. It's 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 actually worse than a helicopter, but you know second only to surface piercing hydro boats, helicopters just beat the crap out of electric. Motors motors and you know uh you've got to have a good motor to to stand up to that and that's why for years you know electric helicopters weren't a very big thing and you know uh prior to about 
I don't know, 2008, 2009. That's sort of when hill, electric helicopters just started coming, primarily because battery technology wasn't there yet. And it, because, you know, if you've got a helicopter that's going from like three amps to like 350 amps for a split second and then settles into 125 amps, and you're not running, you know, like a 45C pack that's capable of taking a 300 amp surge, you're going you're gonna to blow your packs out left and right. And that was an early problem with helicopters is you know when lipos first came out we had 7c batteries and then the really good ones were like 10c oh man you know <laughs> now they got like 120 130c you know nikads sure so, so you know the 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 battery technology has matured to where you know it made electrical electric powered helicopters possible and then when you know when scorpion started there really was very little choices for brushless motors. There was like the Align motors that came with the Align helicopters. There were a few hacker motors. Uh, there were a few like Actro motors that the European guys used. And there, there wasn't a whole lot else. And, and when, when Scorpion came onto the scene um, real heavy into helicopter motors in 2008, they very quickly dominated that. And, and in fact, we, we did a poll at, I think it was the 2010 Urcha. And we asked, we just went down the line. We asked, what kind of motor do you have in your helicopter? And Scorpion had like 58%. They, 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 they had like more people than the next 12 brands combined oh wow it was it was just crazy and uh you know you just you just walk down the line you see the little gold motor sticking up out of the top of almost every helicopter which which made me feel good since i sold every one of those motors that was in every <laughs> one of the helicopters but um yeah i mean it, it it's uh you know it's it's a that time frame, you know, between like 2010 and 2015, that was like the golden years of helicopters sure. when everything just sort of came together mm-hmm. and um, uh, it, it, you could actually have a good machine that you could take out to the field and fly day after day after day after day after day. Reliably. Yeah, yeah. Reliably. Yeah. And then fly barless came out and you weren't constantly tweaking paddles and all this other kind of crap. And. <laughs> Uh, it, it it just became, you know, a very, very easy thing to do that was extremely reliable. Right. So let's dive into uh, the windings of motors. Uh, this actually comes from a listener, and mm-hmm. um, he wanted to know uh, windings. Is there one better than the other? Of course, we have like YY versus Delta, or mm-hmm. we have, um, give me just a second here, sorry. Uh, we have Y versus YY, or the 3Y and the 3 plus Y, and you know, all these different types. But is there one specifically better than the other? Well, the or what's their the, purpose too? I guess the, the the most common wind used is the uh, DLRK Delta wind, where you've got a uh, you know a twelve slot stator, fourteen magnets, and then um, you know the end of phase A is connected to the beginning of phase b and the end of phase b is connected to the uh end of phase c and then you know c is connected to a and you bring those leads out and you know that's that's how the motors wound um that um for most cases that gives you the best performance there are some drawbacks because when you're when you're running a delta configuration if you're powering phase a if you're if you're applying power to, to the to leads A and B, 
you're also applying power to the other two phases at the same time but those two phases are in series with one another through the unconnected lead you know and so the the delta winding can be a little bit inefficient because you're you're always powering all three phases all the time um, when you have a Y wind, you have each coil of wire comes in and feeds the um, uh, the inputs of each coil, but then the tail end of each coil are just all tied together inside the motor and don't go anywhere. So if you run power from phase uh, you know A to B, you're going through the A coil, you're going through the B coil, the C coil is just dangling out there. You're not sending any power through that. So you know, the Y winds can be, uh, you know, more efficient, but when you wind a motor, if, if you put a 10 turn wind on a motor and it, it's a 500 kV motor it, when it's terminated Delta, if you take that motor and you terminate it, why? Because of the way that the, the term, the, the termination, it works and, and the, the, it naturally lowers the kV of the motor by the square root of three. So if you got a motor with a kV of like 300, or excuse me, it's 500 as a, uh, a delta wind, when you go to a Y wind, the kV is going to drop to, I don't know, something like about 320 or something like that. Oh, wow. So, um, and, and so because of that, you have to put fewer turns of wire around the motor in order to get the kv value to come back up mm. and and so the, and then a, a lot of times when you're when you're when you're winding them you can only get so much wire around each pole especially when you start doing the single wind motors if you've ever seen like the limited edition and the ultimate edition motors from scorpion the wire in those things is like the size of coat hanger wire Mm. You know, and um, there was only like two. I, I met the girl uh, that actually wound all the limited edition motors, and she was only allowed to do like two or three a day because it was so um, hard on their hands. I'm sure to to bend that wire around and get it. Uh, without nicking the stator wire and stuff like that, because there's no way a machine can wind that kind of wire around that stator. You have to do it by hand. And they've had to make all these special little paddle tools that they reach down in to push it and twist it around and stuff like that. Um, and when you start getting into them, you know, exotic motors like the Power Croco guys do and they they make these really crazy exotic wines you know i personally I, I never got much into the you know the exotic parallel yy wines and the hybrid wines and all that kind of stuff um but there are there's pros and cons to all of them and a lot of times it's like when you're trying to hit a specific kv or you're trying to hit a specific torque in a motor you know one wine will be more superior to the other or um when you start getting into really really super high power wines you know because of the the feedback that comes back on the unused phase you know the delta wines can be can be uh pretty hard on the speed controllers and so in a lot of cases the y wind is um uh less harsh 
on the speed controllers and and it uh it allows you to push more power through the motor without having a speed controller you know blow a gasket so you know in in the end um almost all of the production motors out there are delta wound uh because it's the easiest way to do it and 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 for most cases you know a, a very efficient way of doing it but when, when you're when you're trying to do really super exotic like shoving 5,000 watts of power through a 45 30 size motor you know you got you got to put some you know crazy exotic wines in them to do that and that's where these you know parallel wise and, and that kind of stuff comes in right so let's uh let's get a little controversial here uh let's talk about bearing maintenance Mm-hmm. Do it or don't. Uh, uh, Oiling and yeah, yeah. George and Scorpion caught a ton of flack from the modeling community over the fact that oh, Scorpion motors are crap because you got to oil the bearings. It's like no, George was the first person that was honest enough with people to tell you you need to oil your damn bearings. Um, you stop and think. If if you uh, have you guys ever flown nitro? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. You pull a nitro motor apart and you look at the bearing. The bearings, I mean, you can put the bearings on, on you know, the inner race of the bearing, you can put it on your finger. You know, they've got like a 15, 18 millimeter inner race because it's got to go around the whole crankshaft. And then the outer race of the bearings, like an inch and an eighth or an inch and a quarter, you know, in a big 90 size, you know, engine and the balls that are in the bearings are like the size of the bbs you shot in your you know crossman bb gun when you were a kid right mm-hmm. if you look at them bearing in a electric motor and you know it's like one third the size it's got like a 10 millimeter inner race and maybe a 18 millimeter outer race and the balls in that bearing are like a millimeter in diameter or sometimes 0.8 millimeters in diameter you know on the, some of the smaller bearings and and there are some like in the 2221 motors where you know you got a four millimeter shaft with an eight millimeter outer race of the bearing you know the balls of the bearing are like you know six tenths of a millimeter in diameter so that's the only contact surface and then you stop and think about a uh, a motor you know, like a, a 2221 motor in a T-Rex 450 that's spinning at 50,000 RPM, you know, in a five-minute flight, that, that, that bearing spins around a quarter of a million times. And those little teeny balls that are in there, they're rotating, you know, at thousands you know tens of thousands of rpm as they're going around in a circle chasing the races of the bearings around right and when you go back to nitro the bearings in those things are continuously bathed in a cooling fluid which is the alcohol as it evaporates and goes up into the engine and you know heli fuel is like 22 24 sometimes you know 25 percent oil it's very oily fuel i mean you see it you know you the, the smoke that pours out of hillies when they're running mm-hmm. and that oil is constantly bathing those bearings and glow hilly motors typically only turn at like 13 or fourteen thousand rpm where motors like if you take a you know uh a 500 kv motor you know like a you know a, a 45 25 520 limited edition motor and you're running it on 12 cells at full throttle that motor's turning 22,000 rpm sure 
um, on bearings that are like one third the size of what's in a glow engine mm-hmm. that are getting no lubrication other than what was put in them at the factory. Right. Um, and then when you t- when you combine that with the fact that these mo- when you put a motor in an airplane and the and you put a propeller on it, the, the motors the, the bearings are kind of free to find their center and there's really nothing pushing sideways on them. When you put a pinion gear on a heli motor and you lock it down in the motor mount and then you slide it up against the main gear, most people do not know how to set up the gear lash in a helicopter properly and they get them way too tight mm-hmm. um, for two reasons. You know, one is unless you have a CNC machine Delrin main gear, your main gears are never perfectly round. True. Uh, because when they in, injection mold molded gears, the cooling tubes only go up and down the sides of the mold. So the sides of the mold are cooler than the top and the bottom of the mold. In in when they when they're because I used to do injection molded parts, I'm very familiar with the process. Mm-hmm. And so when the when the uh, uh, when the gear cools in the mold. It's going to cool more in one direction than it does the other because the mold's hotter in one direction than the other. And so when the gear pops out of the mold, it's going to be very, very, very slightly elliptical. It might only be like if you measure across, you know, one way and then measure the other way, it might be, you know, one tenth or two tenths of a millimeter bigger. But there is a high spot in two places on that on that uh main gear and there always will be when you set up your gear lash on a helicopter what you got to do is you got to find that high spot and the way i always told people to do it was to take a index card or a business card or something and hold it up against your side frame when, when you don't have any blades on the machine and spin the main gear and slowly move that card until it, you'll, you'll spin around it. It'll tick in one spot on that gear, and it won't touch any place else. Mm-hmm. And then what you do is you take a, sh- a Sharpie pen, and you draw a big black dot on the top of your main gear right where it always hit. That's your high spot. Mm. Every time you set your gear lash up, that's where you set it. Oh, wow. Okay. And then you know that that's the worst-case scenario for your your play between your pinion and your main gear and then what you want to do is just take a piece of ordinary you know 20 pound you know xerox paper cut you a a, a, you know quarter inch or three eighths inch wide strip of it and shove that in between the pinion gear and the main gear because that's going to give you about three thousandths of an inch Mm -hmm. it's a a perfect little feeler gauge gives you three thousandths of an inch of clearance between the pinion and the main gear at the high point Right. And so then when you tighten the motor down, you're never going to be putting any hard side loads on the motor bearings. When guys will take a motor and they and they don't know where the high spot is on the main gear and they ram the pinion gear right up hard against it and then tighten it down, what happens is every time that high spot comes over, it is just leveraging the crap, pushing that pinion gear over and also, you know, it's like rocking the shaft over. And I've seen guys that have done this so severely that in one flight, because they're constantly rocking that shaft over a few thousandths of an inch, they actually work hardened the shaft where it come out of the motor and the whole shaft snapped off the motor in one flight. Mm-hmm. 
And I'm sure you guys have seen that too. I've done it. Um, yeah. So um, you don't want to do that. And if you use the method that I just described, you'll always have your gear lash set. And when you set it up that way, your bearings will last a long time. But the problem is guys didn't know how to do this. And what would happen is very quickly, because there's so much side load on the bearings, the bearings would heat up and then the oil would start to um, warm up and drip out of the bearings. And then you would the, the balls would start scuffing because there was no lubrication on them. And then within a couple of flights, the bearings are gone. Wow. And that's why we developed the the Scorpion Motor Lube. It's a special oil that is it's it's a uh, a moisture displacer. It is a corrosion inhibitor, and it's an an ionic bonding uh, lubricant that actually chemically bonds to the surface of the steel. So even after it's gone, it's still in the pores of the steel that that make up the balls and the races in a ball bearing and so by lubricating your bearings like you know every 20 flights or something like that you guaranteed the optimum health because most of the bearings come from the factory with either a oil or a very light grease in them mm -hmm. and what happens is when you know the, the when the bearing runs if you've ever looked at a bearing the balls are held by two cages that are like riveted together from either side which keeps the balls spread out um around the the bearing itself and as that cage spins it scrapes the grease out in a path that's bigger than the diameter of the balls and what can happen is over time that that grease gets scraped out to the sides of the bearing and nothing is on the balls anymore and by putting a couple of drops of, of the oil in there, what you do is you create a uh, like a meniscus of oil between the ball and the grease, and it kind of stirs the grease up, and it kind of like redistributes it in there. So not only is it like redistributing the grease that's already in there, but it's also, you know, uh, ionically bonding to the steel, and it's also making sure that no moisture gets in and, and, and that any it, it also inhibits any corrosion that might happen. And so... Um, you know, the George knew that, you know, from, because he, he came from control line flying. He was like a champion, uh, control line speed flyer for many, many, many years. And he has a whole showcase in his office of all of his collection of, you know, glow speed engines and stuff that he did in, in his youth. And, um, he knew about the health of bearings and everything else, and that's why he was so meticulous about letting other people know about the proper care and feeding of ball bearings. And when you do it right, uh, between setting up your gear mesh properly and doing uh, a mild amount of oiling every now and then, you can make your you know bearings last you know five six hundred flights. Or if you do it wrong, you can blow out a set of bearings in five flights. You know, and then a lot of times what would happen is the bearings would destruct to the point where the uh, the cages around the balls would disintegrate and then um, the balls all get on one side of the bearing and then the the uh, the rotor can would crash into the statter and then the, the bearings would all shatter and the motor would grenade, you know, and then it was it would it would just be super. Ugly. I saw a guy one time um, had had a bearing failure in flight on a big 700 class machine and it literally tore the motor off the mount. Wow. It tore the it tore the two four millimeter screws that were holding the motor on in half Jeez. and it ejected the motor out the side of the helicopter. Crazy. 
So go ahead. I was just gonna say. So that that's that's why you know uh, Scorpion was like a a a very high proponent of proper bearing maintenance, which did include oiling your bearings. Gotcha. So are uh, badass motors coming to helis anytime soon? We've been toying with that idea. I know that, you know, I, I have people coming to me all the time. It's like, hey, you know, we're, we're so, we loved dealing with you. You were like so, so easy to deal with and you had such great customer service and now we can't buy anything from you because we fly helis and you don't sell heli motors anymore. And so I, I have been looking into, uh, uh, a redesign of the the badass series of motors because a helicopter motor is different from an airplane motor. Mm-hmm. You know, the shaft comes out the other end, and mm-hmm. the cooling fan, the airflow is different in a air in a helicopter motor compared to an airplane motor. So the cooling fan has to be redesigned, and a few other you know considerations have to be made um, for helicopter use. But um, if I, I do have like sort of in the, in the back of my mind, I say, yeah, I do want to do helicopter motors. I want to get the airplane motors flushed out completely first. Um, the 45 millimeter motors are coming out soon. We started with the 28 and 35 millimeter series because those are the most popular. And then we added the 23 millimeter motors for the guys that got the smaller airplanes. And then um, the, the, the prototypes for the 45 millimeter motors are being built right now. And I should have them, you know, in a few weeks and then once we get through that and we get that line through production and we get um uh, that whole thing rolling i will probably work through the non-flying season you know starting in the fall on on redesigning the motors and uh probably start coming out with some heli ones in the in the spring of 2022 i would definitely say to to maybe jump right in with the 700 class motor i think that's probably the most popular yeah absolutely Um, we'll do we'll do like the 700 and 600 class first because that's Mm -hmm. where that's that's where all the action is now you know very very few people fly 450s anymore and and um i mean we're not going to do like scorpion did and have like 117 different helicopter motors you know it's just (laughs) just there's, there's no reason to do that but we will definitely hit, you know, all the popular sizes, sure. you know, in a couple of KVs of each one. And um, uh, and then and then and then if they get accepted well and people start asking us for more then you know, obviously, if there's a demand for it, then we'll do it. I just want to be able to have that opportunity to say, you know, if somebody says, what motor is that? I'm like, it's badass. And have to be like, well, I know it's badass, but what is it? And be like, it's badass. I want to be able to do that. <laughs> well taking a slight departure from motors um let's Mm -hmm. kind of dive into speed controllers just a little bit and um one of the things i wanted to ask before we kind of get into the guts of speed controllers but um with the badass motors have you guys uh tested you know these motors with different types or different companies of escs because i will say this it seems that there is um sometimes motor companies that are very specific that they use their own speed controllers to test new motors but there's not a lot of cross-platform going on and sometimes Mm -hmm. that can cause issues right so Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. are you guys doing that as well 
Well, I you know I've run the the badass motors um, on the the badass speed controllers that we sell. Okay. Um, I've I've also run them on Cobra speed controllers. Um, I've also run them on Scorpion speed controllers because you know I wanted to have a wide range of, and they run great on all of them. So um, uh, I mean I haven't gone out and, and you know and bought you know you know YGEs or Contronic or anything like that. But when when we start getting to the helicopter side of things, what we, you know what we will do, uh, which which is what I always do when I design you know new motors, is get some test pilots that uh, it's like hey what kind of, oh so, so you're running Contronic here test it with Contronic let me know how it works or you're running YGE you know let me know how it works with that and you know what PWM setting works right you know that kind of stuff or if you you like Scorpion speed controllers or if you got a hobby wing or or you know whatever you know um, I mean in at the, at the core all speed controllers will work with all brushless motors where you start running into problems is where you're pushing the speed controllers to their maximum mm-hmm. limits you know when you're doing speed cup racing and you got you know uh, you know, YGE like 320 and you're pulling 350 amps for five seconds and hope to God it stays together. You know, <laughs> you know, that's that's sort of extreme end of things. But, you know, for a guy that's sport flying, virtually anything will work. It's only when you start like really start doing, the you know, the crack kind of stuff and really pitch pumping the hell out of your helicopter and you start pulling those massive current surges different motors react different and what happens is depending on the the uh, the metallurgy of the material when a, a motor can only pull so much current and then it reaches a point of core saturation when when an electromagnet in a material like you've got your statter and you got your coils of wire the way that you magnetize that is when there's no current flowing through the uh the uh the coil all of the electrons are spinning in random orientations within the steel as you apply uh current to that coil the electron spins start twisting to where they line up with the magnetic field that's being applied well if you've got some you know some of them are going to be at 90 degrees to the field and some of them are at 40 degrees to the field and some of them are only at 10 degrees to the field so the ones that are most in line with the field are the ones that are going to have to twist the least to line up and then once they line up they stay there and then the ones that are a little bit further twisted start moving and what happens is you reach a point where every single atom of the steel within the statter every molecule has twisted to where they're all lined up with the material that is what's called the saturation point of the statter if you apply any more current into the statter at that point all it does is make the statter get hot and it and it builds up this massive magnetic field that has no place to go and then when you release that it's like uh an ignition coil you know uh, on on a on an old engine you had an ignition coil and you would build the voltage up when you close the points and then when the points open that magnetic field has to go someplace and it rushes out the coil and it you know it makes like a 35,000 volt impulse for a, a millisecond and it fires across your spark plug 
Well, that's what a similar thing happens in your brushless motors. If you have the motor go into full core saturation because you're pulling way too much current, then when it kicks back, it throws this hellacious voltage spike back up into the speed controller. And a lot of times it'll punch through the, the silicon junctions in the FET transistors and blow them apart. Gotcha. And, and, and that's, the, that's the failure mechanism the primary failure mechanism of speed controllers when you're really aggressively pushing them too hard is you're driving the motor into core saturation and then you get these massive back emf kicks that come back out of the motor when the when the field collapses and it takes out the speed controller so first and foremost you know don't be pushing your stuff past its design limitations. I know it's it, with a helicopter. Sometimes that's hard to do because, you know, with an airplane, you can measure the maximum current with a watt meter and you can pick a prop that if the speed controller is rated for 100 amps and I'm pulling 85, I'm good. Right. But with a with a helicopter, you know, if you pull, you know, and a, and a lot of guys, they get sloppy on their thumbs and they and they want to. They want to make themselves look better by going with more and more and more collective. Well, you know, we all know once you get past about 10 or 11 degrees, the drag goes up like exponentially and the current draw on the motor goes up exponentially. And these guys that, oh, yeah, I'm running plus or minus 14 degrees. It's like, yeah, you're an idiot. You know, you, you don't want to do that. <laughs> but um, I think he just insulted everybody that flies to that. <laughs> I, was gonna say. I know. And the, Nobody runs 12 anymore. Everyone I know. I know. <laughs> I know. If you got it heavy machine and you know and you 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 know you, you take your 690 blades off and you put your 720s on because you want a little more pop you know and now and you know it, it all adds up and and in helicopters because the load is so dynamic and it's changing it goes from zero to 300 amps to 100 to 80 to 50 to you know all within one second you know mm -hmm. um it's a really hard environment on speed controllers They've become pretty resilient, though. I mean, they they know the demand is. is oh yeah, you know, I and mean, and and now people what what people do is like like uh, you know I was when I was talking to George, it's like um, when we have a three hundred amp speed controller, we have nine hundred amps of of peak capacity in the FETs, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and yeah. we call it a 300 amp controller because that way when somebody pulls 500 amp spikes, it ain't going nowhere. Yeah. And, and furthermore for that too, I mean, um, I, I don't know if the airplane guys use it or not, but we, we, you know, of course we have the tel uh, telemetry and whatever else to kind of keep tabs on and, and alarm systems, of course, you know, right. but, um, but yeah, I, I agree. I mean, in, in our world, you know, obviously these are things that we definitely need to pay attention to and, and sloppy mm -hmm. thumbs don't help. Right. But, um, but yeah, I think a lot of the ESCs these days are, uh, uh, way underrated on purpose because you know obviously they are it used to be you know people were used to having speed controllers for airplanes you know and it's like 120 amp speed controller you know and you run it at 100 amps it's fine it runs all day long no problems but but the the, the speed controller manufacturer started realizing how harsh the environment was for helicopter speed controllers mm -hmm. and they purposefully built like 50 percent derating into them um so that they knew that they would be able to withstand Right. The, the harsh the harsh environment that that you that, you, know, you know the helicopter just do just be by their very nature yeah so let's dive in a little bit into ESCs and how they tick and how they work um, so let's talk about PWM and and rate mm -hmm. kind of just give us the lowdown on that well uh, what P 
PWM is, is it's the way that the speed controller can regulate the amount of power that goes to the motor. A lot of people have the mistaken notion that a speed controller varies the voltage to the motor. It can't. You've got uh, a, an, uh, a series, it's a, it's a three-phase H-bridge uh, arrangement of transistors such that you can apply either positive uh, power to a phase lead or you can ground that phase lead by which leg of the transistors you turn on and then there's multiple rows of them in parallel to share the load and so when a motor is running at 100 percent throttle if you look at the output uh, of the speed controller with, re with respect to one phase on like an oscilloscope, you get this sort of trapezoidal square wave where the, the phase will be powered for a certain amount of time and then the power drops to off. And all the transistors can do is act like switches and either apply the full voltage of the battery to the phase or go open and release the, the energy to where there's no voltage going to that phase. That's all they can do and so um when when the motor is running at full throttle during each phase cycle as the motor rotates the phase is on 100 of the time and then it's off um you know when that phase is turned off then it turns on for the full duration of the phase and then it turns off again where the pwm effect comes in is while the power is on to a particular phase the transistors can turn off and on multiple times during that window uh, of that phase event and typically at the speeds that our motors are running um eight kilohertz works out to be a pretty common speed because what that means is 8,000 times per second it turns the transistors on and off and the amount of time it's on versus the amount of time it's off is controlled by the throttle stick when you're at 100% throttle it's on 100% of the time when you're at 80% of the throttle what will happen is that pulse will get broken up into three or four shorter pulses and each one will be like on 80% of the time and then off 20% then on 80% and off 20% and so on at 50% throttle it'll take that pulse and it'll break it up into a series of pulses where it's on like 50% of the time and off 50% of the time and I've actually taken a motor and hooked an oscilloscope to it and gotten screenshots and I don't know if you guys do show notes or nothing but if you'd like I can supply you with these pictures of what the voltage actually looks like going across the motor phase at different power levels so you can see how the PWM effect is switching on and off and doing that now on some motors that are very very high speed motors if you're running an eight kilohertz pwm that might not be fast enough you might only be able to chop that 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 one phase up just one time or split it into two pieces and then the throttle gets a little janky because sometimes it's one pulse sometimes it's two it depends on the timing of when it fires and all that kind of stuff and so in order to smooth out the throttle transition on the higher speed motors you go to a higher pwm frequency you'll go to 12 or 13 kilohertz depending on the brand or sometimes as much as 16 kilohertz um, and that gives you finer uh, 
control over the you know the variation in the throttle pulses you know and when when the motor's running at 10 percent throttle you know it's just a little blip 10 percent on it and you know 90 percent off 10 percent on 90 percent off and that just repeats during each uh phase and then when you average the amount of power that's going to the motor over that it averages out to 10 percent power or 30 percent power or whatever you've got the throttle set at now the 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 issue with running higher pwm settings is uh fet transistors which are what are used inside the speed controllers act like an electronic switch they're either on when and it's almost a dead short circuit or it's off and there's like 10 million ohms of resistance in the in the junction uh, or more um, and typically when these transistors turn on there's a value called the rds on it's the resistance between the drain and the source while the transistor's on it's very 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 low it'll be like on the order of a thousandth of an ohm or two thousandths of an ohm or something like that very low value but it is measurable now what happens is when the transistor is in the process of switching from off to on it goes through a linear region where it's it's not completely off and it's not completely on it's in the process of turning on and during that time the resistance is going from you know 10 mega ohms down to one thousandth of an ohm and you know at, at some point in the middle you know the resistance of that transistor is like you know like 10 ohms or you know 20 ohms or 30 ohms and for like a few microseconds you've got 44 volts from a 12s pack going across you know an an, an ohm and 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 it, you're you're getting like you know like I don't know, 10, 20 watts of energy trying to be dissipated in that transistor, but it's only for a microsecond, so it doesn't really heat up that much. Mm -hmm. But uh, those are the events when the transistor heats up. So every time the transistor goes from on to off or from off to on, it heats up a little bit because it's running in the linear range of its operation instead of saturated on or saturated off. Um, and, and, and if you turn them on and off like 8,000 times per second, versus, and then you increase that to 16,000 times per second, if you run a 16 kilohertz PWM frequency, you have a lot more on-off events and you have a lot more opportunity for the transistors to get hot. And so speed controllers typically run warmer on higher PWM settings because of that effect that the trans the, the transistors are going through that linear region many many more times every phase cycle and 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 so they do get warmer uh, and also within the core of the motor itself every time you run voltage into that motor the magnetic domains uh, in the in the atomic structure twist to line up with the magnetic pole and then when that pole shuts off they twist back well that's that's sort of like um if you've ever taken a paper clip and you just slowly bend it back and forth real quick it'll warm up because of the work action right. inside the material hmm. well on a molecular level when those when those atoms twist and untwist and twist and untwist and twist and untwist it creates like little frictional loads inside the steel and that causes the core of the motor to warm up 
And it does that every time the magnetic field either builds or collapses, because that's when the domains rotate to line up with the field or go back to a neutral state. And so running higher PWM frequencies also makes the motor run a little bit warmer too. Now, some motors, because of the way that they're wound or the number of poles that are in, they like running on certain frequencies better than others. I knew that there was like some... I think some Contronic speed controllers that didn't like running at 8 kilohertz, you had to run them at 12 or, you know, something like that uh, in order for them to, to function at their best. And, and um, you know, 8 kilohertz just sort of kind of became the de facto standard because when you're running, you know, airplanes, you know, airplane engines typically run at lower RPM. They run at, you know, 8, 10 maybe 12,000 RPM in that kind of range, usually on most sport airplanes, which is about the same region that glow engines typically run in. Um, when you run them at that speed, you know, uh, an eight kilohertz PWM uh, switching frequency can chop every single pulse going to the motor up into, uh, you know, four or five little subparts. And that's a, that's a nice amount of control over that particular phase event. Um, but with helicopter motors, when they start running at, you know, 20, 22, 30, 40,000 RPM, um, sometimes you do have to run higher, you know, PWM frequencies because the amount of time that each power pulse is on is much shorter mm-hmm. in, the, in those kind of motors. Okay. So let's, I wanted to ask about governors too. Why does auto timing seem to make more power versus those that don't have auto timing? Well, uh, motors that have, or speed controllers that are running in an auto timing mode, they constantly, they're dynamically adjusting themselves for the optimal phase lead on uh, when they when they power the phase. You know, um, just like in a, in a gasoline engine, you always fire the spark plugs before the pistons get to top dead center. And that's because it takes a certain amount of time for the flame front to propagate across the top of the piston and then uh, be able to, you know, create the pressure to push the piston down. If you uh, if you fire right at top dead center, the piston's already gone a fair amount, you know, maybe 15 or 20 degrees past before the full pressure builds up and you don't get as much power to the piston. The same thing happens in electric motors because it takes a finite amount of time from the time the microprocessor says turn on phase A and that signal goes through a gate driver, then it goes out to another transistor and, and then that transistor starts to conduct and then the electricity starts flowing through the wire and because the coil of wire is an inductor it, it like impedes the path of the electricity for a while and until that a uh, coil fully builds up and you know and that that's you know several you know uh 100 microseconds might go by from the time the speed controller actually tells the transistor to turn on until that coil is actually fully saturated with magnetism well if you wait until the magnet is perfectly lined up with the stator plate before you turn it on it's going to be you know 15 or 20 degrees rotated past that point so just like 
you fire spark plugs before the motor reaches top dead center. You fire the timing to turn on the phase when the magnet is coming, and it's about you know 10 or 15 degrees before the stator pole that it's going to react with when it's energized. And um, the faster the motor turns, because the amount of time it takes for the stator pole to turn on is the same no matter how fast the motor is turning. If the motor is turning faster, it goes through a larger rotation angle during that same amount of time than if it does when it's turning slower. And so when you're on auto timing, when the motor's running at a low speed, you know, you're running on, you know, idle up one and you're running a 1300 RPM head speed, motor's cranking away at, you know, like 13,000 RPM or something. But, you know, the timing might be sitting there at 10 or 11 degrees advanced. But then you go to idle up two, you know, and now you're running a 1800 RPM head speed, you know, and the motor's running 18,000 RPM. Well, now instead of 10 degrees of advance, you really need 15 to get optimum performance. And then when you go to, you know, idle up three and you're running 2200 RPM head speed, and you're now your motor's turning 22,000 RPM because, you know, you had like a 10 to 1 reduction in there. Now you might need, instead of where you used to have 10 and it went to 15, now you might need 18 degrees of advance in order to optimize it. So when you run them in auto mode, it's constantly measuring the, the time that it takes between pulses and it adapts the timing to meet up with that. If you just set it at a fixed 15%, if you always fly on idle up two with 1800 rpm you're set you know you're gonna you're gonna get really good performance the the whole flight but if you throttle back a little bit you're going to be firing it a little bit too soon and that's that makes the motor run a little bit hotter just like if you fire spark plugs too soon you start getting spark knock and the engine starts you know shaking and stuff electric motors will do the exact same thing if you have the timing too far advanced and so that's why they came up with the auto timing and it dynamically adjusts itself to meet whatever speed the motor's rotating at and it it and, and it's also geared to not be as aggressive as could be the best like if the optimum timing for a certain rpm might be 18 degrees before uh, you know, the, the magnet lines up, they, it might be running at 15 just to give it a little bit of safety margin so that it doesn't overshoot or anything like that. Um, but if you're doing speed cup racing and you don't care what the power is, you want that thing like as much juice as you can get for that five seconds you're running through the gate and you got your motor like winding up, you know, you might want, you know, 20 degrees of timing advance and you don't care what it does at idle because, or at low speeds, because at low speeds, all you're doing is lining up for the next pass. You don't care you know so yeah, in, in yeah. cases like that you might want to run a fixed timing to get the most power out of the motor in the realm where you need it when you're going through the gates but, um, that, but that translates in amps right so like if you're running auto timing uh it's going to be a higher amperage draw um it can be um at, the, at when the motor's running faster you know because it's, it is advancing the timing mm -hmm. uh, but um it's 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 running in a, at a a condition that's optimal for the motor if you ran if you ran your motor at like fixed five degree timing it's you're you're going to pull less current when you're when you're running at wide open throttle and hard because you know it's it's like you know the spark plug firing at top dead center and you know it's just not pulling as much current you're not getting as much power and if you're just sport flying and you want to be able to fly a little bit longer then you know that works too 
Um, but when you start playing with timing, a lot of times guys will set a timing that's like too far advanced and, you know, it'll be really hard on the motor where, um, most of the time, if you just leave it on auto, you know, you're going to get the speed controller knows what it's doing and it's going to give you pretty much the best optimization for whatever power level you're pulling through the motor. Gotcha. All right. So we have one last question for you and okay. uh, it's giving back to uh, the badass uh, ECs that ESC that, that you've mentioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are the ranges currently? Do you have, you know, like from 25 amp to 100 amp? What, what, what do you currently have? We have two families. Uh, we have our Rebel series, which which is our, our, our basic series. Um, and it goes from uh, 11 amp up to 85 amp. And we're actually trying to get uh, one... Uh, another like a 105 amp in that family that's just got a little bit more oomph to it okay. uh, and and in our renegade series that's our top of the line series and it's got the metal heat sinks and it's got the the bec is adjustable to more voltages in the rebel series you can either pick like five or six volts in the in the renegade you can pick five six seven point four or, or seven point two and eight point four you know so you've got a wider range of if you're running high voltage servos you can pump the bec up higher and you do have a few more feet features in them uh you know additional governor modes and things like that so you can use them with hillies and in that line we go from a 45 amp up to a 155 amp all in six cell now the the reason we didn't do any 12 cell yet is because we didn't have any badass motors that were 12 cell motors when we start when we start getting the 45 millimeter motors we will have uh 12 cell speed controllers and we're looking at running a uh a 12 cell 85 a 115 and a 145 okay it, awesome. it will be our, our next path up uh when we start doing the 12 cell controllers awesome well lucian uh, an incredible evening with you sir to, to get all of this information from you and certainly a wealth of knowledge and uh again we appreciate you coming on it's been a huge honor um so thank you very much for your time this evening well, you're very welcome. Uh, it's been it's been fun. I enjoyed uh, enjoyed chatting with you guys. Yeah, absolutely. So, if people wanted to get in touch with you, how could they do that? Um, they can reach out to me uh, by email. Um, I, I've got multiple email addresses, but if they want to reach me, if they want to reach me directly, my my company email is lmiller at innovativedesigns dot com. Awesome. You can also go to the innovative designs. Uh, dot com website and there is a contact link and it brings up you know the normal contact us link and you can fill in your email address and write your question and send it to us that way goes through the webmaster which then you know comes to me uh, but uh, if you go to l miller at innovative designs.com that goes right to my desk so very good all right well again we thank you so much for coming on and uh man we wish you the best with innovative right. and uh yeah thank you so much yeah, if we get the helicopter motors going, we'll come back and talk about them sometime. Yeah, please do. That'd be great. Uh, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, you have a great night, sir, and uh, hopefully we'll be speaking soon. Okay. All right. Have a good one. You too, guys. All right. And if you guys would like to uh, get in touch with us, you can reach us at theheliheadsshow at gmail.com. If you have questions, show ideas, you want to call us idiots for using 12 degrees of pitch or not using 12 degrees of pitch i'm game for that too uh hit us up we'd love to hear from you guys seriously
Also, like our Facebook and follow and subscribe to us on Podbean and on iTunes. Ooh, nice. We're on iTunes, big time. <laughs> we're pro. <laughs> and shout out to all the other Helly podcasts and other video personalities in the hobby, even if they're not on iTunes. Uh, <laughs> we can list some of them off. Who we got? Uh, Freefall, uh, Telerotor, BK Hobbies Podcast. Um, it was a Houdini Podcast is one of them. Mm-hmm. Who are the guys in Australia? Oh, inverted and uh, inverted down under. Yeah. 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 Inverted down under. That's it. Those guys. Yeah. They haven't and, done one uh, in a little while, but I think it's because they're like, they're on lockdown or something. I think. I'm not sure. Yeah. I'm not either. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. But anyway, thanks to all you guys. Yeah. All right. And I also want to, since this is the, uh, the final time to try and convince you guys, RCHO chill out. We got February 19th to the 20th. Make sure you are there. It's always a good time. Uh, I don't think I've ever been there and said, man, this place sucked. I'm pretty (laughs) sure. (laughs) Pretty sure it's always been an amazing time. Uh, I do want to uh, encourage. uh, We do have some some guests coming from different places. Uh, If you are a Ian Joel fan, he's going to be there. No way. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, maybe you uh you're a bigger fan of Florida folks, but uh Frank Mortiello is going to be there. More nice. Doritos. More Talk Doritos. And uh <laughs> one that I am I am super stoked about uh for those veteran people who know who he is. Marcus Kim is going to be there Saturday. I think this no is like the way. first yeah, no way. This is like That's the first cool. event that he's been at since I mean Maybe something in 2019. Wow. I think it was like, yeah, Spring Fling. He's going to show up at the field and go, seriously, guys? <laughs> <laughs> and then like two hours later, he'll get it. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. But uh, pretty exciting, you know? I mean, that's that's a first, I think. Um, well, first for him at RCHO, for sure, and Frank, as well as Ian, matter of fact. So, But uh, very cool that they are going to be there. And, uh, of course, all of our bestest buddies are going to be there. Free fall and... Telerotor and no Bill Ann. He won't be there. He'll be doing fun with tanks or something, but <laughs> fun with tanks. <laughs> Actually, I think there's like uh, Bill Ann 10 astronomy or something. I don't know, something, but uh, he's, you know, getting cool pics of uh, the constellations, I guess. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Looking at Uranus and stuff. Uran- right. Mm hmm. That's right. oh let's wrap it up and get out of here parting words fence post what you got oh man we gotta start with the uh the legitimate bitch mittens Mm. gotta do that i don't know if anybody knows the story behind that but uh we went to go fly when we flew with with um with uh, marcus kim Mm. and i think it was it um what is his name uh why am I blanking here? Kyle Wells. Yeah. Uh, him and his buddy, they showed up with legitimate purple mittens and they were bitch mittens. <laughs> so we got, we got legitimate bitch mittens there. That's uh, awesome. What else we got? Putting in the raw because mm-hmm. uh, every helicopter is better when you crash it. Mo budget 2021. Yeah. And uh, where are we at with the budget? Gucci. Yeah. Where are we at? <laughs> and then uh, effective collective, but only if you're below 12 degrees. That's right. Anything above, you're an idiot. 
<laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> He's going to listen to this and go, ooh. Oh, no. It's all in good fun. Is it? Uh, it okay. is. Brent. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Brent, what you got, buddy? All right. Here we go. Uh, hashtag nothing magic about this guy. Boom. Mm. Oh, oh. Shots fired. <laughs> Yeah, hashtag straight Horex pimping. Mm. That's right, down Love here it. in Arizona. Uh, this one's kind of back, uh, call back to RCHN. Hashtag they conquered my heart as an <laughs> I love a line. Because <laughs> <laughs> I have all a line helicopters and right. I love a line. Uh, hashtag I changed my mind again. You guys know what that one's about. Oh, flip flop. Hey, up, flip flop. Here we go. And then last but not least. RCHN call back again. Hashtag warm weather dick. Mm, year round. Nice. Yes. Yeah. All right. So first things first, we've got hashtag July 15th, 18th, come to South Kanukistan. That's for the throwdown. <laughs> That's uh yeah, throwdown. Uh let's see. Our boy Brandon Cooper says, hashtag if you don't fly well, then at least crash well. I'm looking forward to that this coming weekend. That's going to be fun. Oh, it's going to be great. So much carnage. Mm. That's yeah. why I see a lot of videos. Heck yeah. Take lots of videos. Absolutely. Of course, then we got hashtag let's get raw. I'm excited about raw. that. It's coming tomorrow. <laughs> it's coming tomorrow. Super stuck. Nice. Yeah, we've got, yeah. then we've got uh, hashtag SAB broke because that's how I live. And uh, I don't know if I can completely blame SAB because <laughs> I've become a big fan of Team Blue. Um, Chris Nutt has actually become Team Blue, too. Did you know that? Wow, look mm-hmm. at that. Yeah, I think he's going to give one a try. So YGE in the hose. And yeah. uh, of course. Puppy wing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they need to get their auto timing right. That's what the problem is. What? Whoa! Where did that come from? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's been fun, you guys. But last but not least, we've got hashtag too old for hold. This has been episode number thirty-nine with Lucian Miller. Thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you guys next time. See you guys. See ya. I got it. It's called Pitch Snob. (laughs) (laughs) I gave her 12. She wanted 14. Yep. Not enough. Or maybe you're going to do Pitch Mitts. Pitch Mitts or Son of a Pitch or something. Son of a Pitch. Pitch. <laughs> we got some good ones.
What? No. No. That's you. <laughs> oh, are we doing that? What are you oh, gonna we're do? doing it. Yeah. What's <laughs> that? And look at me correcting the teacher's grammar. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> First blooper of the night. <laughs> okay, I think we can go now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Okay. Okay. But I don't cool. understand this new math. <laughs> yeah. I watched some of the YouTube videos and that, and I'm going, oh my God, I'm in so much trouble when my kid goes to school because I'm going <laughs> to fight with the teacher. My yep. favorite, yeah, my favorite one is where the, the, the girl gets, or the guy gets the coffee or whatever it is. And like in the time that he figured out the math problem and got his cup of coffee, the teacher was still teaching how to like add triple digit numbers. It was yeah, the I've best. seen that. It's so funny. Yeah. It's funny. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's logic to it. There's reasons why they're doing it that way to help you. In the long run, you'll do it faster. Yeah. Basically, how we did it was we jumped straight to TikToks instead of learning basics. Well, they're teaching right. the basics on how to get to TikToks, and but their TikToks are going to be faster than ours because of their slow way of doing it, essentially. Right, right, right Brent? Yeah. Yes, yeah. exactly. There, there you go. Interesting. No, no. It was like, come with me outside. I'm like, okay. She's like, touch your toes. All of a sudden, pow! You know, I get my ass beat. You know, I mean, it was that was an everyday occurrence. (laughs) Oh God, I'm fucked up. Okay, let's. uh... Yeah, now he pays to be spanked. (laughs) (laughs) Oh shit. Oh...